is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Good afternoon, folks, and uh, welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk on an absolutely glorious spring day here in Winnipeg. And what a perfect day to welcome the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, or at least the rookies, back to the field. Although Zach Caleros uh, out there throwing with all the quarterbacks, Whitley Jefferson, some of the veterans milling around, getting ready for the weekend when the entire training camp starts in earnest. But great to have the Blue Bombers back. And of course, uh, one more day till Gold Eyes opening night on the road. And then, of course, they're back for their home opener next uh, next Friday here in the peg. So uh, lots of good things going on. And, of course, Stanley Cup playoffs, two huge games tonight for the Canadian teams involved. The Toronto Maple Leafs facing elimination and the Edmonton Oilers looking for uh, some pushback after they got pushed around by the Vegas Golden Knights in game number three. Vegas up in that series two to one. And, of course, Paul Maurice's Panthers up 3 nothing on the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. We will focus in a bit more on the Oilers-Vegas series um, in the first segment with a guest because my pal and lockshop partner, Dustin Nielsen, in Edmonton is going to jump on. And I know Dusty's going to want to talk about the Oilers, uh, but we'll also maybe get his thoughts on uh, a quick early look ahead to CFL season. Of course, you also know Dustin Nielsen is the voice of the TSN, mostly in the West, for all our uh, Western games on uh, the TSN, uh, CFL on TSN. So it's going to be a real fun show. We will, of course, talk Jets and Jets offseason. Murata Tash has been uh, cooking up a lot of the big questions and topics around the club. At The Athletic, Marat will join us a little bit later on in the program. And uh, we're also going to get ready for the Centennial Cup. You know, we've got the ice playing on Friday and Saturday, but the National Junior A Championships is also here in our province beginning on Thursday. Host Portage Terriers, MJHL Steinbach Pistons, along with teams from around the country playing for the Centennial Cup. We'll get a little bit of a preview for that in the final half hour with Eric Swar from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League before we get into our cool bet lines and uh, see what's kicking for uh, the games tonight over at the betting window. Well, let's get Michael Remus in here to uh, get the party started. What's going on? Oh, it's a hot one out there, Huss. I see uh, General Tom's got the fire in chat. So, yeah, we're it's good, great temperatures. It's only May 10, which is a shocker. So... Uh, that's what's going on with me. I don't know. Wearing no jacket outside, right? Yeah. Oh, listen, we're not e- even, and I'm usually, I've got a hoodie on right now. Uh, you really don't need it. Um, I-, I think we're officially into shorts territory <clears throat> every day till probably Halloween. Yeah, uh, probably, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I'm still in, uh, I'm a big joggers guy. So I, I'm joggers. It's actually really cold down here. So I'm wearing a hoodie. And and sweats underneath, you can't see them. So, what's the difference between sweats and joggers? Uh, I think joggers are tighter and like more form fitting, isn't that? I think so, and maybe more fashionable. That's the male version of Lulu's. Yeah, I think so. I think more. If someone on chat wants to help, I think more fashionable too. Like, like Drop I got a pair of sweats. More. I got a pair of sweats, but like I'm not leaving the house. In those, they're they're old, but these joggers are, man, I look good in them. So I'm a big joggers guy. 
Shorts on today. You know, I <laughs> speaking of shorts, just this is a bit of nonsense before we get into the program. I was with a friend last night and, and I dropped a line about jorts. And he claimed he thought that I had just invented up that term. I said, Well, what are you talking about? Jorts. Like he goes, Well, what are jorts? I said, They're jean shorts. He goes, You gotta be kidding me. And we went down a bit of an internet rabbit hole. I did really enjoy some comedy site did a thing on the history of jorts. But Remo, I, everyone knows what jorts are, yeah, right? Yes, yeah, it's a common thing. Yeah, yeah. Th this yeah. is not. This was not some edgy, no, underground term for jean shorts. I mean, everyone knows what jorts are, yes, except for my friend Kyle. Jorts is a common, common phrase. Everyone knows jorts. Come on, Kyle. <laughs> Never and heard of it. Are, you go to Urban Dictionary. Is it on there? It, listen, not only is it in Urban Dictionary, it's in the Webster's Dictionary. Oh, it, it was added in. It was added in 2013. So, oh, that's a long time ago. You know, 2013. Believe it or not, is 10 years ago, which is uh, kind of messed up. Uh, I noticed that yeah. when when uh, da Daft Punk's Random Access Memories 10th Anniversary Edition comes out this week, and it feels like yesterday. Get lucky. Uh, the song. Came out, but yeah, uh, but that's jorts. One of my you know what? That if you if you were gonna ask me to put together a whatever top ten, like a mixtape top ten summer songs. That's great summer. Just good time songs. Mm -hmm. Like I, I might start with that track. To be perfect, like, every time I hear it, you're just in a great mood. It reminds me of good times, some fun road trips, yes. and a time where it didn't matter where you went. You were listening to that song and all part of the good old days before the pandemic turned everything upside, drove uh, many people nuts. And uh, and here we are. Here we are today. Um, although, and just quickly before we get to everything else, Remo, I'm not sure if you saw this, but Barstool put out a video of uh, the behind the scenes live look at when the Pardon My Take guys, Big Cat and PFT, got informed live by their bosses that their uh, barstool van talk was uh, was canceled after one show and it was wild looking at their reactions and listening to what the people were saying and and big cat had tweeted you know at the time it felt like it was the worst thing in the world but looking back it was the best thing that ever happened to us and it got me thinking about when if and ever the recording of the infamous phone call of February 9th, 2021 gets put out because I feel the exact same way. It really felt terrible and it sucked at the time. But, uh, you know, now as we're uh, getting ready to talk about heading to the draft and a big off season and the Bombers back, doing, we're doing a Winnipeg sports talk. I, uh, I feel thankful for that phone call every day. Yeah, it's been quite a journey here um, for Winnipeg sports talk coming in into year two now. So, um, year three. Yeah, I guess this is technically year three. We've completed two years. I mean, even that feels like, uh, I don't know, feels like just ha feels like we just started here. So there, there we go. Uh, we are cooking up some great things for June, though, and uh, working with, uh, hopefully we'll be uh, doing our shows um, down in Nashville, Tennessee for uh, for the draft. It's going to be a huge week for the Winnipeg Jets and uh, working on with a couple of our great sponsors to try to make that happen. So uh We'll let you know how uh, those plans are going. But, uh, of course, right now, you know, we'll get to the draft and we'll get to all the off-season talk with Marat coming up in a bit. But, uh, 
We know a couple big games tonight in the National Hockey League, but the two big performances last night. I have to say, like for all the drama and the overtime and everything we had in the first uh, in the first round of this of the playoffs, the second round has been kind of a dud. Like game by game, they've all been blowouts for the most part. Yes, I was thinking that yesterday. Like, round two has totally sucked. Every game is a blowout. Like, the Dallas-Seattle series is tied 2-2. Has there been has there been one good game in that series? This Carolina-New Jersey. Carolina's winning 3-1. No game has been close. Even Edmonton-Vegas, they played three games. I mean, Vegas dominated one and three. Edmonton dominated two. The Toronto series, I think, has been the closest games um, one and two for Toronto, and there was an overtime game in there as well. But yeah, round two, uh, you made such a high of round one with the upsets and close games and game sevens. And I think we'll, I think Seattle, Dallas, they seem to be headed for seven. But round two, major dud. And uh, I don't know. I'm still watching it though. I can't really complain. But they just haven't been. Every game has been blowout. Yeah, uh, you know, I I went out last night with a couple pals. Uh, for some wings, and we sat down. It was 1-1 in uh, the Carolina-Jersey uh, game, and about eight minutes later, it was 5-1. Um, like, mix in a save once in a while, guys. Uh, it, was, uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, that one just got away on New Jersey really, really quickly. And uh, you know what? They did not have much stream, according yeah. to Damon Severinsen. Oh, what, what did they have? <laughs> they didn't have a lot of pushback. It's the word of the playoffs. It's and I'm not sure whether we would have heard of this as much if we didn't have Rick Bonus's incredible, incredible rant that was heard around the National Hockey League. But uh, Jersey was pointing the fingers at themselves last night. They did not have any pushback, and uh, I don't know. Do you have the clip of Severinsen after the yeah, game? Yeah, Damon Severson. Yeah, he said so. I guess after the game, Lindy Ruff said that they got the lead and then stopped playing. They were up one nothing in that game. And then Severson says after they didn't have a lot of pushback. And I agree, like, were people saying this a lot before the Jets' loss in Game 5? Like, was pushback a common term? Or were we now just hearing it more since the bonus Hulse game? And every time someone says, like, I hear, I'm, like, every time, like, Elliot or Kevin Bieksa says it on the broadcast, my ears pretty much like, oh, pushback, pushback, there it is. <laughs> And now, like, I don't know. I never had an ear for it before. Maybe people said it all the time, and I never know. But I feel like we're noticing it quite a quite a bit. It is a great point. I have a feeling that our ears are more uniquely trained to identify pushback in any statement after the end of the Jets season. Mm-hmm. And it's not like this is something that has never been said before. But I don't know. Around the playoffs, and I give Rick Bonus a lot of the credit, uh, I, I think that has been... The key word of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we'll see if the Leafs have any pushback tonight. We'll see if the Oilers can push back <laughs> after their loss in game three. And uh, according to the New Jersey Devils and David Severson, they did not have the pushback after Carolina brought it to them after they were up one nothing in that game last night. And here's the club. Well, like I said, we got the win taken out of ourselves real, real bad there in the second period. And uh, it was unfortunate. We're second round of the playoffs. We're, you know... Now we're facing elimination, so um, there there wasn't any pushback from us, and that was unfortunate. And it, it's it's not fun, obviously, losing that way. And then we we didn't 
you know give our fans in the cheer about tonight too so uh, that's that's on us and as players and as the team and now we got to you know we got a challenge ahead of us to climb them back into this thing yeah, only one more chance to uh, push back and get back into this series. I'll say this about Jersey, though, Reem. Uh, I think a lot of people wrote them off after losing the first two games at home in convincing fashion to the Rangers in round number one. And having survived that, having come back and won four of five, I do think that's a, you know, a recent experience that they can lean on. Uh, that being said, though, this Carolina Hurricane team, how good would they be if they had Pacioretty, if they had Svechnikov, if they had Tara Vinen? I give so much credit to Rod Brindamore with what he's done, the culture that he's created in that room, and the fight that they give for a full 60 minutes pretty much each and every night. Uh, it is going to be a real uphill climb, but I have no doubt that the Devils will bring it in Game 5 and uh, at least put their best on the line if they're going to go out that way. Okay, one thing about pushback when writing it, is it one word or two? I've, uh, that's a great I, question. I, a great question. Marat, I've been wondering it. I'll ask Marat maybe because he's a writer. I'm yeah. not. He's a, he's a big J journal, so I think he would have an eye. I always get confused with some hockey terms like offside, um, one or two, or is there a hyphen? There's a couple others that I always get mixed up with, but... You know, how about Jordan Martinuk? Like, I took basically every Carolina player in uh, a pool I'm in, and they're doing pretty well, but I don't have Jordan Martinuk. And he's got nine points in four games against the Devils after having zero points in round one. Um, absolutely incredible uh, run for him. And they are missing Teravine, as you said, Sveshnikov and Pacioretty. And, they're you know, everyone wrote them up. They were a popular upset pick in round one to the Islanders. And here they are, and as I said, I think last week, you know, Rod Brindamore is never getting Coach of the Year consideration because they're good every year. But you knew after a loss, these guys are going to bounce back. I think uh, Slavin and and Shea had a pretty bad game in Game Three, and they all, you know, play really shut down New Jersey, who looked unstoppable with Jack Hughes leading the way. So uh, credit to the Carolina. Could we see? I'm bracing for a Carolina Florida where it's Paul Maurice coaching against. His former player, the Rod, Bull. Rod Brindamore. Although, was brought, so I think Brindamore was there when he coached. Yeah. I should actually, or was he in Philly? No, no Brindamore, I'm, pre- I'm pretty La- sure he was there at least one of the two stints. Yeah, because Laviolette was, sorry, Laviolette coached when they won the cup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was there. Or he was in there for the, the 2002 one. Okay, good. I'm not hey, getting uh, By the way, uh, impromptu, why not question of the day for our friends at Not Autocorp at Waverly and McGilvery? Don't look this up, people. Is pushback one word, pushback, or is it two words, push, space, back? Let us know in the chat. We will ask Murad <laughs> about this a little later on. So, so, there's, people are saying, okay, people are saying it's two words, you illiterates. But some people are saying, like, when you're saying they didn't have pushback, then I think, it's a, I think it is one word. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure you can claim us to be illiterate because this is a question on the program. Well, it is. I'm I mean, just, it is two words, but I think they come together for one word when you're talking about a pushback of a team. Yeah. Well, put it this way: in Bones's in Bones's speech after the season, was pushback one word? I mean, I know yes, push and back are two words. We mm-hmm. we all agree on that. We are familiar with those being. <laughs> words on their own but in this case put together is it one word uh listen we're on the case we're on the case let us know and uh, let us know in the comments um dallas is back 
Uh, and speaking of pushback, <laughs> to use a term that we're saying over and over again, they had it last night. Um, you know, we didn't talk a lot about the situation on the weekend going into game three. Um, but there was, you know, another, and I mean, I hate to say this, we're almost numb to this, seeing on the news some mass shooting in uh, in the United States. But there was one in Allen, Texas, which I believe is just outside of of Dallas. And some of the scenes, if you've seen them, are, I mean, as horrifying as anything you'll see. But Peter DeBoer um, had a, a, a very heartfelt um, address, not as much speaking about hockey and about the game, but about that event and... And you do wonder how much that was um, maybe in the minds of the uh, of the Dallas Stars. Now, I'm not suggesting that you know that you know had them uh, you know not prepared to play a, a solid game. I mean, there were some things that happened in game number three that you know were really unfortunate. A tight first period, and then Heiskanen takes that one in the face. Puck goes in. He goes to the dressing room, and bang, bang, bang. They score four in about six minutes, and the game's effectively over. But we knew how important last night was going to be for the Dallas Stars. And I hesitated to do it because Seattle has burned me so many times. We did ride with Dallas last night, and they got it done. 6-3. Finally, uh, really getting to Grubauer. Um, Joe Pavelski getting in. And uh, how about Max Domi and his performance so far in the playoffs for the Dallas Stars, Reem? Yeah, what a pickup. We talked about Max Domi coming to the Jets you know, as a possible candidate. You know, would they look to get him? And this guy, um, he was a playoff player last year for Carolina. And this was a really smart play by the tanking Blackhawks to sign Domi knowing fully well they would trade him at the deadline. And here he is with point-per-game player, 10 points in 10 games with Dallas. And shout-out to Joe Pavelski. Scored a power play goal. He's now in a tie for seventh all-time in playoff power play goals and the NHL put out that list yesterday. And I mean, this is like all Hall of Fame names. And I do wonder, is Joe Pavelski's career like kinda underrated here? Uh, you know, just the time that he put in with uh with San Jose and he was on Team USA Olympics as well. Not no, they Joe made the Pavelski cup final. He was on Philly instead of San Jose or the Rangers or somewhere yeah. on the East Coast on a bigger team, not forgotten out in San Jose, even though he was on great teams that yeah. a lot of people never saw. I honestly think that he'd be thought of a little bit differently, but uh, but you're right. And the fact that he continues to do it at this age is simply amazing. Well, he had the four goal game, and and they lost. Like he came back and uh, came back and and scored four goals after that huge hit he took from Matt Dumba. So I mean, this guy he's been a playoff performer for a while, and he it was weird seeing him at Dallas, but he's making such a big impact uh, for them. As I look for that graphic that they put out i should have saved it but i did not but i mean the names that are ahead of him are like gretzky mike bossy brett hall lidstrom like all all legendary players and there's joe pavelski high for seventh all time in power play goals oh, oh one playoffs. other thing and this is going to totally trigger you but they also put out a thing that joe pavelski um, moves to second all time in Dallas Stars slash Minnesota Wild or Minnesota North Stars franchise history mm. for goals in a That's playoff fine. series. And it did get me wonder I thinking about the Minnesota records in the NHL. But yeah, I guess all the North Star records are part of the Dallas franchise. We all know that there's issues with the Winnipeg well, Jets records and where they are, but hey. um the, the only guys that have scored more, here's a couple blasts from the past, seven in a, in a playoff series, Steve Payne, I believe, and Tony McKegney. 
How about that? Oh my God. Okay, this is what I here's the here's the most power play goals. And I'll say this about the record. I'm seeing that a lot with Whalers, Hurricanes, too. And if the Hurricanes make the conference final, I thought this would be their fifth conference final, and it was all in Carolina, which kind of blew my mind there because they, you know, they had some great years. They're not that successful, but I mean, this has been a great franchise. And as for the records, Huss, I mean, the only reason why I had issues is because there's, you know, you have the original Jets and Jets 2.0, so there is confusion. Uh, I don't know. Think there's a confusion with the North Stars and the Wild, but I don't want to get too. But here's the list: uh, most power play goals in playoff history. Pavelski in a tie for 28th. But there's ahead of him: Lemieux, Lidstrom, Cicerelli, uh, Cicerelli, Bossy, Gretzky, Hall. Quite a quite a list there. Where's Drysaitel? You know, give him another couple of weeks, and he'll probably be fourth or fifth on the uh, on the league uh, in the league. Speaking of which, we are going to be talking about the Edmonton Oilers coming up in just a minute. <clears throat> but I, I'll throw this out, and maybe we'll talk more about this with uh, with Marat later on. But as we prepare for the possibility that one or two of the Jets' top centers might be on their way out this off season. You know, who's coming back? And certainly through trades, you'd be looking to try to make something happen, uh, you know, with that. But I think it's maybe a younger player. But with a very light free agent uh, class, and obviously free agency is not normally the place where the Jets do most of their damage. You do wonder if Max Domi, who had to sign a one-year deal last year, might be a fit. Um, born here in Winnipeg, um, you know, Ty Domi's spoken uh, extensively on how much he loved his time here. I mean, I think there'd be a lot of neat storylines with Max coming back and really trying to, um, you know, I think there'd be opportunity for him to play center top six here if those players were gone. And listen, as bad as the Blackhawks were this year, I mean, Max Domi was productive. 60 games, 18 goals, 31 assists, 49 points. Um, You know, is it a step back from the players that, you know, you had last year in Dubois and Shifley, if that's the case? Probably. Um, But, it's part of the situation with where they're at. And if they're not able to get that top center to replace one of those two guys, and I think that's far easier said than done, I'm not sure that Max Domi on a shorter-term deal might not be a, might not be a fit for Winnipeg and might be something unlike just a standard free agent that there might be a way uh, the Jets could get it done. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that, as I said. Murata Tesh coming up a little bit later on on the program as well. Um, don't forget, as I mentioned right off the top, Gold Eyes opening game is tomorrow. We're counting down until the 19th for the Fish home opener, Friday, May 19th. The uh, had a great chat with Andrew Collier last week about some of the new uh, items at the ballpark. And of course, we'll get a chance to see Greg Taggart, the new manager in the new team. So get to goldeyes.com, season tickets, group tickets, mini packs, all there for you. And count yourself in for the big ball game a week from Friday for the Gold Eyes home opener on May 19th. Uh, again, big thanks to our friends at Modern Man. Had a great time at their go- or, uh, grand opening over on Pemina Highway. They'll be doing another one for the new um, location on Plessy in a couple weeks. Modern Man Barbershops, though, now eight locations in Winnipeg, featuring a variety of grooming services for men, haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Book your look via modernmanbarber.com and follow them on Instagram at modernmanbarbershops. Uh, it's feeling like summer around here. And uh, make 2023 the year you take the plunge with Aquatech. <clears throat> Visit aquatech.ca 
to design your own custom pool. Their team can provide on-the-spot financing from designers as well as financing options that suit you. And with thousands of renos as their foundation, let Aquatech upgrade any space in your home as well. Hey, it's Mother's Day this weekend. Give mom the ultimate staycation destination this Mother's Day and get on one of these projects. Over $1,000 off select spas, pools, and home rental projects. Plus, visit them on Instagram and enter to win mom $1,000 towards a she shed. You know, she can throw in that she shed, maybe some batteries from our pals over at Manitoba Battery. They're uh, celebrating their 10th anniversary right now and getting ready for summer, blowing out golf cart batteries at the lowest prices in town. Six-volt golf cart batteries are $167. Eight-volt golf cart batteries are $177. And those prices include free delivery anywhere within city limits. And when you return your cores to Manitoba Battery, you'll receive another $17.50 off what's already the lowest price in Manitoba for golf cart batteries. Get them now so you can be ready for May long weekend and summer fun. Sale on now until May 6th, 1026 Logan Avenue, and online at manitobabattery.com. And uh, Dusty's coming up right now. We will talk a little CFL as well as Bomber rookies are in camp. Camp gets going on on, uh, the weekend, and we are just a couple weeks away from getting back out to IG Field, meeting up at the Rum Hut and enjoying the great taste of Canadian Club. And, of course, CC and Ginger. You can pick up Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey at your local Manitoba Liquor Mart. And CC and Ginger now available. 473 milliliter cans at beer vendors, too. If you don't see it, ask for it. And you'll definitely get ready to have a couple of those out at IG Field. All right. Let's talk a little puck and maybe a little pigskin with my pal, partner from the lock shop subscribe on youtube at lock shop bets just had an episode for tonight's games as well as the golf starting tomorrow and of course a big night in edmonton where dustin nielsen is headquarters and the king of the am nasty what is uh what's going on how uh, how are you i gotta tell you listening to you weave all of those sponsors together was just brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. Like with the she shed, I know what she can store in there: batteries. I was just like, this guy's killing it right now. Hey. I thought you were coming to me, and then you transitioned to Canadian Club. Brilliant stuff, buddy. That's a pro's pro right there. I you love know it. what? Listen, it makes it so much more fun. It's a personal touch. Our sponsors are the reason why we make this happen. We could record them, but it's it's better to do it this way. Yeah, no, I love it. And, and the greatest compliment I have ever received was from somebody in the chat that referred to me as the Connor McDavid of ad reads. And uh, I'll tell you what. Wow. I will take that. I will take that. And I certainly am getting my 10,000 hours in doing it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, hey, we've got great support from folks that are making this show happen, and uh, it's certainly fun to do it. Speaking of Connor McDavid, uh, what did the captain have to say about a uh, very underwhelming home performance in Game 3 where uh, they got the early goal, Loren Brossois got knocked out, and uh, – it was all Vegas after that point. Yeah, I don't I don't think I mean the one thing that the others might have going for them here, Huss, is that they're not delusional. Like they weren't trying to be like, oh, you know, tough break here or there. Um, they knew they knew that they played horrible in game three. They knew it was their worst game of the playoffs. And Connor McDavid straight out now, it's not some sort of Mark Messier type of guarantee. But Connor McDavid did say that he thinks that his team will bring their best game in game four. And if they're able to do that. If they can find some success five on five, then they should probably be okay. But they cannot be as bad as they were in game three. And they weren't great in game one either. Leon Dreisaitl had that phenomenal four-goal night. But five on five in this series so far, it's been all golden nights. And the Oilers down the stretch 
did prove to be a pretty good five on five team. Um, but I think this transition from LA to Vegas is taking a little bit longer than, uh, than we expected. Well, and, and to be honest, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people watching this show right now that are, um, probably remembering what happened with the Jets and the Vegas Golden Knights. And it was weird. The Jets, I mean, the Jets power play will not be ever mentioned in the same category as Edmonton's, but they made the most of their power play opportunities in round one, which I think maybe covered up just how strong the Vegas Golden Knights were at five on five. And listen, it's one thing to do it maybe down along the depth. You don't expect though a line that has Dreisaitl and McDavid to uh, to not basically have their way with whoever they're playing right now. And uh, listen, I, I just, this is a team that seems to be built deep, 1-12 to 12 forward. I mean, the blue line's looking good. Uh, the Oilers have to solve the Vegas Golden Knights at 5-on-5 five five because as great as that power play is, pretty tough to win a seven-game series just leaning on 5-on-4s. Five well, yeah, right, and the Oilers, the Oilers can score 5-on-5. Five five. It's how do they defend 5-on-5, five five, right? That's always been the issue with the Oilers, and I'm not just putting it on the defense. I know Darnell Nurse and Cody Ceci have taken a lot of heat the last couple of days here, and justifiably so. I mean, they were not good last game, but it's the entire group as a unit defending 5-on-5. Five five. It's dry settle McDavid and how they defend Five on five. So, I mean, that's probably the key here for the Edmonton Oilers. And, and you know, if they're going to get back, they're not going to win this series by just lighting up the power play four times and winning four games that way. If you're going to beat the Golden Knights and if you're going to advance or you're going to come out of the West or you're going to win the Stanley Cup, you have to be able to get the job done five on five. And against the Golden Knights so far, they, they simply haven't. And I think one of the main issues here, and we'll see what happens tonight at the morning skate today, Zach Hyman was not on the ice. He got banged up in that last game, finished the game, but didn't practice yesterday, wasn't on the ice for the morning skate. Um, you split up McDavid and Drysaddle because McDavid and Drysaddle have been you know, they've been fine apart this year. I mean, the team is winning a bunch of games when they were apart, put them together early in the Kings series, which I think was necessary against the Kings. I don't think you have to have those guys together loaded up on the same line against the Golden Knights. I think you're probably better off getting them on separate lines and kind of forcing the Golden Knights hand a little bit. So we'll see what Jay Woodcroft brings to the table tonight. If they do separate them, obviously they'll need huge games from both McDavid and Drysaddle. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt about that. What about the pipes? Um, like Stewie Skins has been solid. Uh, he did get chased, and, and the weird yeah. thing is that I mean, I think he's got about an eight eighty eight or something like that. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, though, that Jack Campbell um, has has not done anything really to inspire much confidence, despite coming in down three goals in that game in the first series that they ended up coming back and winning. Are we going to see Jack Campbell, or what will it take for us to see Jack Campbell in this series, and how bad of news would that be for Edmonton's plate? Yeah, I mean, you got a glimpse of him last game when they when they pulled Skinner. Um, I just don't think you're at the spot. Now, now, this sounds weird to say, but could Jack Campbell give the Oilers the same level of goaltending that Skinner has given them so far in the playoffs? And I think that answer is yes, because Skinner hasn't been great in the postseason so far. A team in front of him has had some defensive breakdowns. Um, could Jack Campbell give the Oilers a goaltending that Stuart Skinner gave them during the regular season? No. So I think you still have to look at the upside of Stuart Skinner and continue to roll with this. But if they lose tonight, or if Skinner lets in a couple of bad goals early, I don't think Jay Woodcroft will hesitate and go to Jack Campbell considering what he did in this spot Last round, right? If that was game four, the others were down 2-1, and they fell behind 3-0. So they pulled Skinner, put in Campbell. Um, You know, he looked a little bit bumpy along the way, but made some huge saves. And they ended up coming back and winning that game on a Hyman uh, Hyman overtime winner that stuck through Corpus Allo. So 
I had a little bit more time for that discussion mm-hmm. this time around, but it's still <clears throat> anytime there's a shot on Campbell with the way his regular season went, I think all of Edmonton goes, <gasps> is that going to go in? <gasps> is that going to go in? So I just don't think the level of confidence is there right now. So you stick with Skinner. But if Skinner, if like, like, like if the Golden Knights put up four or five on Skinner again tonight, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're facing elimination in, in game five, I mean, I, if Skinner hasn't got the job done at that point, then do you go to Jack Campbell with your season on the line? It's a, it's a rather interesting discussion between the pipes and on the other side with Vegas, man, with Aiden Hill. I mean, let's let's see what happens. I I don't I don't mind that for the Golden Knights. I thought the Oilers kind of found a way to expose some of the holes in the Laurent um, but Hill's a little bit different. Well, and I think Hill has to be coming into tonight with a hell of a lot of confidence. I mean, he went in and shut the door for an entire game. And listen, that's not going to happen again, probably. But, I mean, you have that little body of work and have that success. And, I mean, you know, that's sort of just confidence, especially for goalies, as weird as they are. Uh, incredibly important. I think that's done a lot for their team coming into tonight. Uh, all that being said, we can talk about the goaltenders and we can talk about the lines. I mean, I think that this is a uh, what what the Leafs have not gotten from their top players. I think the Oilers get that tonight, and I mean, it's hard to ask for anything more from Leon Drysidel, but I just think that this is going to be a Connor McDavid game. We talked about it on the lock shop. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he hits three points, maybe more tonight, and uh, if that happens, we're going to be talking about a best of three. Yeah, they should be in a pretty good spot if he shows up tonight. Once again. The Oilers should get theirs offensively. It was very weird last game. The Oilers are usually good for, well, coming out of that game again. They came out of that series against the Kings, and everybody's like, oh, the Kings, pretty solid defensive team. The Oilers were averaging over four goals per game in the first round of the playoffs. Like, the Oilers are going to score goals. So if those guys can step up defensively and you mix in a few power plays, it should be the recipe for success. And then you got a 2-2 series, and this thing likely goes the distance like many people thought it would. Hey, I've got to ask you a question that we were talking about at the start. And, of course, you heard Rick Bonus's uh, end-of-season address to the media. <laughs> well, end-of-season after Game 5, talking about pushback, no pushback. Is it just us noticing how many more people are using the term pushback when talking about these games in the playoffs oh, because of one. what Rick Bonus has said? Or have you noticed that that is now more the key phrase of the playoffs, the the pushback after things go uh, go poorly. I like the pushback. Um, one of the big ones here in Edmonton right now is to a man. To, to a man. man. Yeah, we got we got so Woodcroft dropped a to a man, and then I think Rashog yesterday or Gager on my show dropped a to a man, and then we had Jamie McLennan on today, and he dropped a to a man. Like whenever anything doesn't go well, you know, to a man in that room, they know they need to be better. So <laughs> I, you could really tie it together. To a man in that room, they know they need to have that pushback. This is playoff hockey, right? Like they, they, it works out extremely well. Both of those are excellent playoff phrases. Hey, the one guy that did quite a bit of pushing back at the end of game two when things were going the Oilers' way was our old pal, the natural, Evander Kane. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Evander with an all-time quote after that, the uh, yeah. F around and find, find out. I laughed so hard when I saw that old guy with the 91 jersey, F-A, <laughs> find out. That I was mean, good. Well was done. Good. Well done <laughs> to whoever did that and put that together. But uh Listen, Evander's made a lot of mistakes, and he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way over the course of his career. He's getting what really seemed like a last chance, made the most of it. He's now got the contract in Edmonton. Where's Evander at right now with the the team? We know how important he can be on the ice, but uh, 
is this a guy that's actually matured and seemingly kind of found a, a home going forward for his uh, for his career? Um, from a like I'm not down there every day, right? Like I'll go down and get in the press box and watch these games, but from the outside looking in, in the market, it sure looks like it. It really does. I mean, he's out and about. He's doing a lot of different charity events. Like he's he's done a pretty good job repairing that image and that baggage that he came with when he came to this market. People, you know, when they first got him, they brought him in. And, you know, there were some people saying, what are you doing bringing this guy in? And then, you know how it is in the world of sports. All of a sudden, you know, a player does well for you and he looks like a great fit. And then it's, ah, who cares? Whatever. There's no history here. Like, it's a fresh start here in Edmonton. So I think I think Oilers fans, for the most part, have given him a fresh start. And I honestly believe that he's he's taken advantage of that. Now, it's it's interesting because last year in the playoffs, he was he was excellent. This year in the playoffs, and he was he was banged up through the season, um, obviously with the the injury on the wrist. Um, but he's been little roller coaster ish, kind of like Hyman and well, Nuge has just kind of been on the down path so far here in the playoffs. Kane has been excellent at times, um, and then you saw what he did in game two. But then in game three, at the end of the first period, he goes and takes just a stupid penalty, and you're like, what are you what are you doing? Like you need to be smarter than that. So um, you know he they could use a big game from him, like Evander Kane technically hasn't had that big game so far in the playoffs and dry saddle McDavid have been great, but Kane's been quiet. Nuge has been non-existent and Hyman had that overtime winner in game four. He's quiet, but now he's banged up. So this is that core, right? This is the five of the top six forwards that this offense basically revolves around. And when three of them aren't really going at the expectations, including Kane, now Kane can do some other things, but he just has to be smart about it. Us. You know, Ekholm, I thought, was maybe the best acquisition at the trade deadline as far as the need of a team and what a player brought to it. I mean, they certainly paid a price to get him. But uh, what have been the returns, in your opinion, on Ekholm? And uh, is he the number one guy now? I mean, Nurse is making a lot of money. Um, just wondering what the, the feeling is on uh, Darnell's play through uh, the playoffs up until this point. Yeah, Ekholm's their best defenseman. I don't even think that's a debate. I mean, if anybody says otherwise, I would completely disagree with them. Uh, he has come in. He's been excellent. There's this trickle-down effect that I can get to in a second. Quickly, Nurse. Nurse has had some good games, but he's also had some games where it's his decision-making that just seems off. And that has a lot of people rattled because of how much money he makes. But, uh, you know, I think Ekholm has done a number of things. They bring in Ekholm, and first of all, you get Ekholm. So there's that. You take some of the pressure off Darnell Nurse, which is excellent. You bumped Kulak down the lineup, so he's your third-pair defenseman. He's been outstanding so far in the playoffs. And then you put Ekholm alongside Bouchard and basically salvage this kid's season. I mean, Bouchard has been wonderful since Ekholm came in, and the fact that they've got Ekholm for a few more years, Bouchard must be just in heaven right now. Um, and then you also moved out Barry by bringing in Ekholm, which opened up the power play for Bouchard. So, like... The trickle-down effect of the Ekholm trade has hit in like four or five different places in this lineup and has really been, I, I know there's, you know, you make a lot of trades and there's some over-exaggeration. This has been a perfect pickup. Like getting Ekholm has been exactly what Ken Holland needed to do for the Edmonton Weathers. And uh, you even had a little bit of offensive upside at the end of the regular season. He was scoring a few goals and chipping in there. Hasn't been that way so much in the playoffs so far, but he is their most reliable and steady defender. It's not even a discussion. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> what do you make of what's happened to the buds facing elimination tonight? Um, uh, it, it has been incredible to see them wilt. And, and I mean, I'll be honest that game three performance by the Leafs 
in some ways sort of felt like, you know, game five for the Jets, but the Jets were facing elimination. They just didn't have it and they were done. Um, I'm going to be fascinated to see how the Leafs bounce back. And I, and I kind of do think they win this game. We talked about it in the lock shop earlier. I just have a hard time imagining a team with that talent getting swept in this fashion. And you wonder what that does to all the goodwill they got by beating the Tampa Bay Lightning. But um, <laughs> what do you There's no the more Leafs? goodwill. There's no more goodwill. I have to be careful what I say because Leafs fans hate me for the most part. Yeah. Um, you, but, you have a, you have a, a sordid history with yeah, Leafs exactly. Twitter. We, uh, we said this going into the series on the lock shop, man. Like if they don't take the Florida Panthers seriously early on, the Florida Panthers will kill you. And that's, that's what's happened. I mean, they celebrated like they won the Stanley cup. They probably thought they were going to get Boston. So at this Boston mindset, and when it wasn't Boston, they're like, Hey, it's the human instinct. You're like, Oh, look at us. We've won around. We knocked off the Tampa Bay lightning who were not the Tampa Bay lightning that beat the, the Maple Leafs the previous years. Um, you know, you've added in a guy like Ryan O'Reilly. You got the Stanley cup experience. Everything's going to be uh, continue to flow along smoothly. And then you run into Sergey Bobrovsky and Matthew Kachuk and a really deep Florida Panthers team. And they, they bite you early. And then in like the most critical game of the series, your top guns are a no show. So I'd like to say that when they beat Tampa, I thought I would, I was like, okay, well here they go. This is it for the Leafs. But I mean, we laid it out prior to that series. If they didn't take Florida seriously and were a little fat and happy, the Panthers are too good. Look at the Panthers just accomplished against the Bruins. What they, they haven't lost in like two weeks. They've won six in a row. So um, I think I think the Maple Leafs probably just weren't ready for this series against Florida. They're not, it's not like Florida's a significantly better team than the Toronto Maple Leafs, but Florida's clutch players, I don't know how you could have how you couldn't have more faith in Barkov and Kachuk than any of those four guys with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, give me those two guys any day of the week in this type of situation, and they're proving it right now. No, it's, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, one way or the other, it's going to be fun to watch from afar the shrapnel that is around that team at the uh, end of this playoff run, assuming that it ends with them being bounced. Uh, it'll be really ugly if they can't get this win tonight <laughs> and at least have something to show after that win over, over Tampa. Um I know you've had a, a you, you've been coughing a little bit lately. You need to get that voice ready, my friend, because uh, can you believe it? Three weeks, three weeks Friday, you're going to be here in the peg calling a preseason game before we get going with the CFL season. It was it was a little strange. I sent out my like uh, email to our travel lady saying uh, I'm heading to Winnipeg for that June second game. It's it's time to book travel again, and uh, yeah, I, it's. I feel like it's kind of gone by quickly, but it hasn't as well. Like I'm ready. I'm ready to get going again and get the kind of the one preseason game, which I'm very much looking forward to. And I'm excited for this season. Like the quarter, the quarterback movement in this league, like for Bo Levi to leave and go to Hamilton and then you get Harris and Fajardo switching places. It's, that's real fun. I don't know what's going to happen here in Edmonton, but they go out and bring in Dunbar and Gina Lewis. CFL free agency this year was just terrific. The BC Lions, they lose Rourke, but they've got Vernon Adams from that trade. So it's it's going to be tough. I know we're going to preview CFL on the lock shop coming up this week, and it's going to be tough to get a read on what we should expect from a few of these clubs, buddy, outside of the Bombers who, once again, what do I mean? How many kickers are you guys bringing into camp? Like seven? Only one like seven that matters. Kickers? The yeah. Lucha, man. Sergio Castillo is back. Appreciate Castillo's uh, back, too? Uh, well, exactly. The Elks dropped him last week. I know and- they dropped him. I didn't see he got picked up. One hour later. Oh, that's must have been why I missed it. An hour later, bombers all over it. So, yeah, 
uh, there'll be a bunch of punters coming in, but uh, Castillo will be back. I was just so pumped because it gave me an opportunity to go into my phone and <laughs> post the video and pictures of him in the poncho and the luchador mask running around the stadium holding the championship belt after the uh, <laughs> after the Bombers won it in 2021. A very popular member of the club and great to have him back. What is the... Uh, I mean, God knows we talked long enough about how long it had been since the Oilers won a home game last year. What... Uh, what is the vibe around this club? What are their expectations this year for a Chris Jones team? I mean, at some point you got to win. It's a nine-team league. I mean, you can't keep being at the bottom for a team that has such a great history and a great fan base that I think will come out a lot more if they think their team is even borderline competitive. Yeah, I mean, I think you know they bring in Victor Kui as the president, and he had a lot of positive things to say since he's taken over. And there's like a little bit of buzz. People are like, oh, look at this guy! Like he's fired yeah, up the right the guy, guy out with a couple yeah, the, wins the right at guy Commonwealth for the job, but. I mean, he he could say all he wants right now, but it's time to it's time to put up or shut up. It's as simple as that. This team has to win games, and they have to win games to get people back. I'm 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 very interested to see. Like we know attendance fell off last year. Some of those games are sparsely attended, um, and and I get I get it. Your team doesn't win at home, but I'm interested to see if they do put together a string of wins at home. Does it start to bring people back, or do you need to have you know some playoff success sustained for a couple of years to make that happen? So Taylor Cornelius looks like he's going to be the guy again i love the raw tools of taylor cornelius like i want to see more taylor cornelius big guy runs well just has a ridiculous wicked arm um and now they've brought in some pretty good options for him i mean gino lewis should probably catch a lot of balls that were dropped last year from cornelius as soon as they sort of connect they brought in dunbar they kept dylan mitchell like they've got a pretty good offensive set of weapons does Chris Jones have the personnel and defense to help take this team to another level? I guess that's something we'll see. Um, last year, you know, they had a couple of sort of bigger names on defense, but outside of that, a lot of guys try to cut their teeth in the league, which usually isn't a recipe for success. So, I mean, I don't want to go out on the big limb here, but I, I'm going to guarantee they win one at home this year, Huss. But uh, <laughs> you know, part of me is like, are you sure? And I, I, do, I do think, I mean, I do think they will. But it's a matter of how much do they need to win, not just at home, but overall, to start to get people back on board, right? It'd be nice to win a home opener and sort of, you know, start it early. Yeah. Don't have that being the season. Well, they're out of the playoffs, but can they win a home game? When like, they get uh, the Riders, the Riders here at home. And when you look at some, I mean, the Riders, I don't know what to make of them at this either. So that should be a, that should be a really good game. Well, it's funny. I mean, if we uh, take it from uh, what the bookies have to say, our pals over at Kubat have the odds up for the Grey Cup. Bombers are the favorite at plus 240. Elks are last at 25 to 1, but the Riders are next at uh, plus 1150. Uh, interesting how long of a long shot the Elks are. Compared wow, the Elks to everybody are way else. down the list, eh? Way, way down. And, hey, you know, Chris Jones has won before. I don't think it's happening this year, but I do expect him to be better. Um, when you look around the league, I think we all agree the Bombers are on paper the favorite. Um, who would you say is the number two team right now? If not Winnipeg, who? I don't even know. Like, I think that's what's happened with that. It's it's not the riders. I'm not too sure what happens with Vernon Adams and BC, but I I like the core that they have there. I think that there's still going to be a good team. Obviously it's different with number two on the, they're number two. I think think BC is an interesting one. If Vernon Adams can take advantage of this opportunity, I think he's got the personnel there to still have a pretty good team. Obviously it's not the Elks are the Calgary Stampeders third on that list. Uh, Fourth Ty cats, six to one. 
Stamps and Argos seven to one. Okay, yeah, that's okay. That that makes sense. Uh, I do think Calgary, like Jake Mayer, is going to be just fine. Dickinson now with an elevated role. I mean, Calgary just always finds players, so the Stampeders are still going to be a very good team. Hamilton comes down to what Bo Levi Mitchell has left in the tank. Obviously, we've been expecting big things from the Tie Cats for what three, four years now. Now they've got their quarterback. Um, and both should be motivated for sure. Now out east, uh, a new fresh look there. And then we'll see what Kelly does. I think he's like plus 750 to be the MOP. Um, but we don't know what he's going to bring to the table just yet there with the Argos. I mean, came in, put together a drive in the Grey Cup, and that was that was great and all. But it's a lot different being the quarterback of the Argos for an entire regular season. So I would I would once again look at the... This might be a Western take because I watch so many West games. I like do all the West games, but I do think there's going to be a few powerhouses in the West. I uh, The Swag Kelly experiment is going to be hilarious because, I mean, he is a big league talent, uh, but I think he's a big league head case too. And how he handles the uh, the day-to-day of being the leader on the field of a football team. Um, I, I, well, I, I'll just say this. He... Uh, he showed that in spot duty, he can go in and play, and he's played in front of big crowds before, back yeah. in his college career. Uh, but I do wonder about, I mean, if he was a DB or if he was a receiver, no worries at all. The quarterback position is so different in professional football. And uh, it's well, they be like a, him, though, right? Like they oh, like they him. They do. They yeah. do. I, I so mean, you got listen, the confidence of your team, at least. So that's yeah. big. Well, it, confidence will never be an issue for Swag <laughs> Kelly. I can uh, I can personally guarantee you that. Um, good stuff tonight. Uh, hey, well, you know, we're going to do our cool bet lines a little bit later on. But uh, I know there's some Oiler fans in the chat. Uh, what was the exclusive that you cooked up tonight? I mean, those yeah, have a, been. We're lucky one. to still be employed by them right now because, yeah. to be honest, the lock chop and especially your Oilers uh, single gamers have not been good for the uh, for the bottom line for our friends uh, Pat and Jake and the gang over at Coolbet. Yeah, if you usually beat the hell out of a sponsor or a partner like we have, they usually cut you loose. But uh, yeah, here it is tonight. It's still sitting at plus 625. McDavid and Drysdale both to score. Bouchard with at least one point. He's been a monster so far in the playoffs. Oilers in regulation and just over five and a half in this game. And it's plus 625, which is actually a little bit of a bigger number than I thought. I guess Oilers in regulation sort of bumps that thing up. Um, but look, I, I was telling you on Lock Shop earlier in the week, man, like the Oilers recipe for success when they win is just all these things. Yeah. Right? Like it's usually dry settle scores and McDavid scores. Like this this is the script for a win. And if you think the Oilers are going to win tonight, it's, you know, it's a 5-2, 5-3 type of win with their big guys rolling and the power play probably scoring one or two goals. So I love getting that plus 625. I hopped on it immediately. Yeah, and we also do have a partner part that we put together from our picks. Uh, we we will ride with these Canadian teams. I'm going to take the Leafs tonight. It might be insane. I just think that they show something and manage to get this series back to uh, Toronto. We've got the Oilers to win and even that series up. And my lock of the century of the week play, Golden State <laughs> minus six and a half. And you're the ultimate LeBron guy. I am. Lakers fan. You watch all the games. But uh, I, I don't know how anyone would have confidence that the Lakers would go in on the road and get this done. I've also seen the script for this series, and it's Lakers in six winning at home at the uh, Crypto.com Arena in a few days. If the Lakers had the stuff to go into game five tonight and win in Golden State, you might as well just give them the NBA championship right now. 
because they're not being stopped. I mean, you go in today against the defending champions with their backs against the wall and beat Steph Curry at home where they're ridiculous. Nobody's going to stop you. So I've watched, I was saying earlier in the lock shop today, man, I've watched every single LeBron playoff game of his entire career. And when he gets in certain spots, and the team gets in certain spots where they're somewhat comfortable. Um, there has been a tendency for it's not even like they, they're they're going and being let down. It's just like overall the vibes just not there. So I would think Golden State they shoot so well at home. I think they probably come out and take care of business tonight. So it's not very often I'll go against them outside of a, the old emotional hedge, which I've cashed a couple of times here. But uh, a Golden State should win, and they should win big tonight. Hey, say what's up to our pal LTE. And, uh, I will. I will. Keep doing a great job with the nasties there on uh, 1260. In Hi, Remus. Hi, Remus, wherever you are. Hey, buddy. Hey, Dusty. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming man. on, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for sending the link. You know, of we, course. We, do, we may need to have a, a a tag team appearance one point with you oh, and Eric fine. coming on with me and Reem. Anytime. Be, uh, I got anytime. a four box. We'll do we'll Ooh. do that around Bombers Elks uh, at Perfect. some point this That's season. That's a great idea. We'll, I love we'll, it. Lock that in. All right, pal. Thanks for doing hey. this, man. Great stuff as always. See you, boys. All right. There's Dustin Nielsen uh, again. You can follow our uh, show Lock Shop at uh, on Twitter at Lock Shop Bets, and make sure to get on over to the YouTube channel and uh, hit that subscribe button over uh, Lock Shop Bets as well. We're uh, on YouTube. Um, all right. We're gonna talk uh, some Jets with Murata Tesh coming up in a few minutes, but uh, hey, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market are ready for barbecue season. If you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, groceries, and Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products too, Vita Health Fresh Market has you covered. And uh, with barbecue season here, get on down to Vita Health and stock up on some delicious Vita Market grass-fed bison and beef steaks. And the perfect thing to help you digest that red meat, Health First Prime Zyme Digestive Enzymes. Symptoms like heartburn, gas, bloating, and abdominal pain after meals may be signs you're not digesting food well. Health First Prime Zyme can supplement enzyme levels to break down proteins, carbohydrates, fats, lactose, and reduce digestive discomfort. That way you can enjoy all the delicious food that you're hooking. But, uh, cooking, Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives, seven Winnipeg locations. You can also order online with local delivery options at myvita.ca. Uh, Wallace and Wallace is getting after it right now as Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist, serving residential and commercial customers since 1946. If you need the security and protection of a new fence or if Winter's done a number on your old one, They've got you covered with vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood fences. And if you need a new garage door, Wallace & Wallace has Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. 204-452-2700 is the number to make an appointment for a free estimate. You can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston Boulevard. How's the closet looking, fellas, as we get into spring and summer? If you need to up your menswear game heading into the new seasons, head on down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at $400, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. 15% discount for wedding parties if you need suits for the fellas for the big day. And F Apparel also has a great deal for 2023 high school grads. Purchase a new suit for the young man and F will throw in a free custom shirt and tie valued at about 150 bucks. 190 Smith Street downtown. Make an appointment online at F Apparel, EPH Apparel.com. And hey, with this gorgeous weather here, perfect day 
to grab the crew and head on down to one of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. Uh, blizzard season is officially here. The good kind in Winnipeg. New summer blizzard flavors are there. You got your dilly bars, your peanut buster parfaits, all the other classics. Not to mention maybe the most underrated and delicious burgers in the fast food game, the uh, Stack Burgers. Right now at DQ, if you need a ice cream cake or blizzard cake for a party or an event, they'll custom make it for you with whatever you want on it. Hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba to make that happen as well. All right, we've got uh, lots to get to with our good friend Marat Atesh. The, uh, the mailbag is open and has been answered at the pages of the athletic. Let's get to it now with Marat. How are you, my friend? You got you got the cut a little bit. You're kind of getting this is summer Marat ready to go full off season mode. What's going on? Full off season. I got the tan going. You know, I've been outside. Uh, I got the haircut. Might even trim the beard. You know, don't tell my mom just in case I don't, and then she's upset, and then it's a whole thing, right? But no, if you if you got anybody out there who's watching. They're like an NHL player on their off season, you know, could be a jet, could be otherwise. You got to know Winnipeg is gorgeous right now. It is friggin' nice out there. It's a beautiful day. Um, and it gets like this for almost half the year if you're willing to squint and cheat with your math a little bit. Yeah, well, it would have been nice to hang around in the playoffs long enough to show some of the guys <laughs> that maybe what it can be like around this time and. Who knows? Maybe we'll get a draft one year. Um, right now, the, the big topics around the Winnipeg Jets certainly involve the offseason, which is fully underway. Um, this is always a weird couple weeks because there's the lull after the team gets knocked out of the playoffs, and you know there's a lot going on behind the scenes. You're sort of focusing in on the second and third round while everyone else gets ready for the draft. But um, there's a few things in around the National Hockey League I just want to get into because I know once we get talking about the Jets, it will sort of dominate the convo. Um, big week for the league and a big week for the Chicago Blackhawks getting Connor Bedard. Um, I don't think we really touched on the different possibilities and options. I mean, for the league, I think having him in a market like that with a historical team and original six teams is probably a good thing, especially not having him sort of lost on the West Coast. From a Jets fan perspective, get a chance to see him a little bit more. But we also might be dealing with him for 15 years. Uh, how did you? Th- <laughs> what did you think about the, the way the ping pong balls dropped on Monday? I mean, one of my earliest childhood memories of hockey is you know turning on the playoffs in I don't know 1990, guessing. And there's Eddie Belfour, and he's you know in Chicago Blackhawks uniform, and it was just intimidating to me. Like the kid version of me was like, this is what scary NHL players look like when they're in full competitive mode. And so, you know, I've always just associated that team with postseason, with history, with glory, all of those sorts of things. I think there'll be a lot of folks around the NHL who like that idea, who also, though, there's going to be a lot of folks who just think about the Kyle Beach news, which has dominated, you know, a lot of the Chicago discourse for a long time and think, God, do these guys really deserve that? Like, do they really deserve Connor Bedard after, um, you know, winning the cup under such an intensely horrible and negative situation that has come out in the years since then? So that's part of what enters the mind for sure. I also think that Chicago, I think, moved from five to one to get Patrick Kane back in the day too. So there's a sense that, okay, these guys have had enough um and all of that like I I may have cheered for another team if I were you know if I had my heart in where Connor Bedard went 
That said, um, the opportunity to be media that watches Connor Bedard that often is, is, you know, exciting for me and the idea that he'll be in the division. And I just want to watch great players. I wish I saw Connor McDavid play more often. I wish I saw Sidney Crosby play more often. Um, just so that's, it's nice for me. Don't know how the fans feel. We're going to circle back to the Blackhawks with something I want to ask you about the Winnipeg Jets and some of the decisions that they need to make. But just before we do that, got to ask you your thoughts on uh, what has happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs in the second round uh, facing elimination tonight, as well as the Oilers, who, uh, you know, historically great power play have looked great at times, but are still um, needing a win to avoid going down 3-1 tonight. Yeah, I mean... How how many of your Winnipeg wide Manitoba wide listeners are just like enjoy right now? Respect to that Toronto Maple Leafs on the verge of a sweep. After there's a lot of them, <laughs> I'm sure the chat is lively. Um, I I don't know. Like I I I believe that there's at least some chance that the emotions that went into overcoming that round one hurdle and slaying that dragon have played into this a little bit. I'm willing to believe that, you know, once you set a goal or a target that intensely for so long that there might be a lull that comes out of that. Another option is that Florida's a pretty darn good team. Another option is that despite creating plenty of scoring chances, the big four in Toronto is just not scoring. And, you know, in a sample size as small as a playoff series, sometimes shit happens and you get beat. And it doesn't have to be that they're heartless or gutless or any of those sorts of things. I think the analytics show that they've been getting slot shots. That they, that I've seen a video review that showed plenty of scoring chances from the Maple Leafs. But if the big guys don't get it done to the point where the puck actually ends up in the net, I mean, you run the risk of going down three nothing to a quality Paul Maurice coached team over there in Florida. And I, and I think it's just a combination of all of those things working to create, you know, a, a snide Westerner's biggest happiness over there in that series between Florida and Toronto. Uh, and then there's the Oilers. Um, I'll be honest, game three reminded me, it gave me the heebie-jeebies of deja vu as to how the Vegas Golden Knights stepped their play up, particularly at five-on-five as the series went on against Winnipeg. And, I mean, it had the feeling after game two, like the Oilers were actually up 2-1 in a series that only had two games being played. That is not the case, though, Marat. And, um, you know, for all their great power play, they... Uh, They've been the second best team on the ice at five on five. And uh, even now going to Aiden Hill, I think Vegas has a ton of momentum coming back. That being said, I expect a monster game from Connor McDavid tonight. Yeah. I mean, Las Vegas five on five play deserves credit. It deserves credit against Winnipeg in every game, except for game one, I would say, and has deserved credit against Edmonton as well. They win the battles on the outside. They keep teams from getting to the inside. Um, you know, I saw a stat today that the Edmonton Oilers are getting more shots proportion-wise from their defensemen than from their forwards right now. And it's because of the way that Vegas plays, collapsing to the middle, um, and the dedication with which they're doing that. They've kept a certain amount of Edmonton to the outside. Obviously, they got lit up at times, too. That's that's part of it. But at 5-on-5, five five, they've played a really strong game, and I don't think they get a lot of credit for that, um, or perhaps sometimes not enough credit for that. If you're keeping the Edmonton Oilers with, you know, Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, et cetera, et cetera, more or less to the outside, often enough such that their D are getting all the shots, you're doing a pretty darn good thing. Um, the other thing that Vegas has done so well is they expand out from collapsing in front of their net 
into transition and into offense up the ice with so much speed. It's incredible. And, you know, that Mark Stone, a Chandler Stevenson combination that burned Winnipeg a time or few has burned Edmonton a time or few as well. Um, in addition to, you know, Vegas's depth players scoring too. So, you know, I think a lot of folks were thinking this is McDavid's year one way or the other. There's no way that they'll let that opportunity slide. Vegas is a pretty good team. They seem to have a lot to say about that. Yeah, they absolutely are, uh, are have something to say about it. Anyway, should be a real fun night tonight. Leafs early, Oilers late, both the Canadian teams in action in the Stanley Cup playoffs. All right, Marat, let's get back to, I, I've been thinking about this since Monday night. Um, how do you think winning the draft lottery for the Blackhawks changes their plan going into this season? I mean, they are abjectly the worst team in the National Hockey League. I know they finished third last, but that was thanks to a 13-game reverse heater by the Ducks at the end of the season. And obviously a lot of things happened with the uh, with the Blue Jackets. But, I mean, you look at this roster right now, and it is void of many competitive, even average NHL players. <clears throat> Do you think that having Connor Bedard now, that changes the level of maybe the, the the willingness to speed up the rebuild? And the reason I bring this up is that, of course, they're going to need somebody to play with Mark Sche- or to play with uh, Connor Bedard. And I can't help but think that a guy like Mark Shifley might be a perfect player that has been in the league, that's got a little bit of experience, that, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that have different opinions on Scheif, but, you know, is overall a guy that does most of the right things, at least to, to make himself better. And obviously very, very talented offensively. And I guess we could throw Dubois in there too, although a different player. But um, do you think, I, the more I think about this, I'm like, if I'm Kyle Davidson, I don't want Connor Bedard coming into the league, being on a team that wins 15 or 20 games. And that's sort of how you start. Um, and you want to have someone that gets the most out of him as well. Um, are you, uh, are you at all interested in buying what I'm selling on this? Us, I, I'm plenty interested. I, I'm plenty interested. And, in, you know, for me, I go back to historical comparisons and I think, I mean, there's three stories I want to tell and hopefully I don't get too long winded by the end of it. You look at when Sidney Crosby came into the NHL and the success that the Pittsburgh Penguins were able to have because they were able to insulate him on a team with Mario Lemieux partially, with Zygmunt Palfi, with Recky and Leclerc, as I recall as well, depending on the timing of the season. When you don't throw that young player to the wolves and when you can surround them with, you know, with talent, with professional work habits, with all of the standards of being an NHL player, sure, Pittsburgh didn't win immediately, but... You know, it was only a few years later when they were able to transition into to Crosby's success. And I feel like a discussion of Bedard has to include these elite generational players. I think Pittsburgh did a phenomenal job of transitioning from veterans into the Crosby-Malkin-led era. And obviously one player can't do it. Um, that's not how hockey works. Crosby's team needed other players. But I think that that's the model you're looking for. You fast forward a few years when Edmonton starts winning all kinds of draft lotteries. You have Taylor Hall on that team, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Nile Yakupov, et cetera, from first overall picks. And what Edmonton does a, a really awful job of is surrounding them with enough veteran talent to stay competitive. And you saw, you know, Taylor Hall, ha- you know, gets moved. I think the rumor out of Edmonton was that he wasn't mature enough. I think that he won every shift he played. So that was kind of a moot point for me personally. But you know, it was a situation where they weren't able to transition from being, a you know, an absolute bottom feeder to successful. And I think that part of that is 
the fact that Edmonton didn't have veteran insulation. It took Connor McDavid for that to, to, to really transform. But like we were just talking about, Connor McDavid is down 2-1 in the playoffs right now, am I right? And he has yet to win a Stanley Cup, and he hasn't done it. He definitely didn't do it on his entry-level contract either. To use a Winnipeg Jets example, best team that Winnipeg ever had was with Patrick Laine, Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor on entry-level contracts. Josh Morrissey was cheap. Jacob Truba was cheap. Uh, Connor Hallibuck was cheap. Cap efficiency wins Stanley Cups. Um, Winnipeg didn't win a Stanley Cup, but cap efficiency creates elite teams. It gave Winnipeg the opportunity to add. And so the opportunity I think Edmonton had wasted for a lot of years leading up to this, now that they've finally been able to build and get out of some of their cap hell, Connor McDavid's second and third years in the NHL, those three years of his entry-level contract, okay, one year he's a rookie, he gets hurt, but then there's year two and year three of that entry-level contract. We know entry-level contracts are artificially low. That was the single most cap-efficient contract in the history of the salary cap NHL era, and Edmonton wasn't able to build around him enough to create a viable go at a Stanley Cup. I think you want to be competing when your elite number one overall pick is still on that entry-level contract. And I know Chicago has a long way to go. Year one, probably that's a lot to ask. But by year two or three, if everything goes to plan, he'll either have the most cap-efficient contract in the history of the NHL, now that the cap is a little bit higher, or he'll be amongst the few elites in that regard. And I think that that's a tremendous weapon if you're the Chicago Blackhawks. And maybe this year is too soon to win. But I think you have to be looking at years two and especially year three of the Connor Bedard deal as an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. And who would know better than the Chicago Blackhawks who did that with cheap deals for Jonathan Taves and and Patrick Kane way back in the day? They should have the blueprint. Well, and and that's why I I keep thinking about Shife because he's going to be looking at a spot, I mean, to go, you know, if he's willing to sign an extension – you know, it's going to be a place where he's going to have the opportunity to succeed. And I can't think of a better place if you're looking at, you know, sort of the next five, six years of your career than plopped onto a line with, uh, you know, a guy that everyone thinks is a generational player and scorer. And the other thing about Chicago that's so interesting, Murad, is that there's far more to it than just, you know, who you're giving up and who you're getting back. Um, the Winnipeg Jets have some other things that need to happen. And part of it is moving some salary off the blue line. And the the cap, the Hawks right now have a ton of cap room. And again, these aren't deals that are signed for five and six years. I mean, they're one year or two years for those defensemen, whether it's a Nate Schmidt, which is probably the most difficult one to move. I mean, Neil Pionk, we've talked about, even Brendan Dillon, Dillon DeMello. And if you're going to make room to give Hainala or um, a Declan Chisholm a chance to play, probably at least one of those guys is going to need to go. And, you know, that could be part of it as well. And then I guess the question is, though, if you are making a move like that, what are you getting back? And the one thing that the Blackhawks don't really have is, you know, any NHL players of the caliber that, you know, would pop in and probably, you know, even to a percentage point, half replace what a Shifley or what a Dubois will. They certainly have picks. Pretty sure their first is off the table. They've got Tampa's pick. They've got four second-round picks. They've got another couple picks the next year. Um, do you see a possibility where the Jets would move a player like Shifley that gets them some cap space, takes care of another issue on the blue line that we've been talking about for a couple of years, 
but doesn't bring back that player that you can basically plug in the middle. Uh, it really is more futures and future assets, including draft picks that the Blackhawks have been acquiring as they've done this uh, scorched earth. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. And you know, thinking through it, you know, you want to look to Chicago's pipeline as who could step in and be a, a number two for now or maybe grow into the future. And I think Montreal already traded for that player. His name was Kirby Duck. Exactly. Right? Like, so that shit may have sailed. I'm not a, like... I'm at the point with the Jets where there are so many moving parts. You know, you have to find some resolution for Dubois. Shifley could be a, a trade chip. You know, Blake Wheeler, I think we all assume, is on the way out. And then Connor Hellebuck, what can you possibly do to convince him to stay? I'm not sure. Um, where any combination of movement that involves those guys, I, I, I leave open as terms as possible. I don't know what's going to happen. And so then you start thinking, well, okay, what types what types of trade would they explore? I don't think Winnipeg has shown that, you know, that wheel and deal collect the assets just to spit them back out for for roster players type of maneuvering. Like this isn't Vegas where they're always moving assets in and out. So I think to myself, well, okay, if they do trade Mark Shifley to use your example to Chicago for you know, a collection of first, second, some prospects, you know, pure futures, are they then going to feel confident and able to pivot those futures into that Kirby Doc type player to help the Jets now? Or would that sort of signify a rebuild or retool proper? And I'm not sure. I, I don't think I've seen that that agility from Kevin Chevaldeoff. To his credit, he's done really well when backed into a corner in terms of getting assets back for, you know, Truba or Line A or what have you. We've done that dance. We've explored all those examples. But like that type of dancing on your feet, if you're mo- if you're making the trade that you suggest, I'm like, I'm not sure that Shovel Dayoff can dodge the rebuild outright unless he's somehow managing to sign somebody that we don't anticipate it at this point. Well, and and this sort of ties into something I talked about with Reem. And again, I'm not putting this player in a in the category of uh, Mark Shifley or Pierre-Luc Dubois um, but Max Domi's got ties to the city um, he was born here he's a point of game player right now with the Dallas Stars in the playoffs and came off a 60 point season on an absolutely terrible or sorry 49 points in 60 games with the Blackhawks last year um, you know he was a high pick I think he would love the opportunity if wherever he goes next to try to play on a regular basis and I mean certainly the Jets will be a better team than the Blackhawks will be although maybe you would be interested in going back and playing with Bedard I'm not sure whether that's in the cards at all but um with the limited free agents that are out there do you have time for Max Domi potentially being a guy that could come in and fill one of the holes if Dubois and Shifley are ended up traded like many people believe will be you know I should give him some credit because he's playing on a successful team right now in the Stanley Cup playoffs I've never looked at Max Domi as a solution. Um, I think that he, he's an offensively dynamic player. There's a sense that he's got a lot of competitive to competitive fire in him as well. But there's also, if you go metrics-wise, he's traditionally given up a lot back in the other direction as well. It seems to be easy for other teams to generate chances when Max Domi's on the ice. And Sounds know, familiar. May- <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's exactly being the B-level version of the guy you're replacing, right? Like... Um, but I think Shifley's got a better, obviously, and you know, you've said that as well. He's got a better track record of outscoring his defensive issues than I think Max Somi has had. Um, and so I think that with that type of signing, 
especially on a Winnipeg Jets team that is skill heavy and two way soft, I would say, um, or light, I meant to say. Um, I don't think Max Domi is a solution so much as a stopgap. And maybe you're buying time for future moves or um, trying to address what I imagine would be some pretty strong defensive shortcomings somehow else because you're not getting it from Winnipeg's um, winger group necessarily. You're not getting it from center if Pierre-Luc Dubois is out and you're really left with Adam Lowry to take care of that. I mean, it's a move that teams make. Maybe it should be considered within the realm of realistic and maybe it's part of adjusting our sights for the Jets that there might be some treading water in the next couple of years. I just don't see the player as a guy who's absolutely going to win his minutes and deliver value on the salary he'd likely get. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I just think that, you know, and we'll get into this right now with Dubois, that, uh, I mean, depending on where these players can fit, and obviously Dubois is a unique situation because of, you know, the belief that he'll end up in Montreal one way or the other, and maybe that sort of pushes the Jets into a corner, uh, especially with this draft coming up. I mean, I think there is, there would be or should be an attraction, you know, to maybe try and, and get an extra pick or two in this draft right now, which certainly will help you in a couple years. Are these kids going to be players next year? No. Um, and you might need to fill a spot on a shorter term deal. And that's why Domi, I mean, certainly the way he's playing right now with Dallas and, you know, having a little bit of a renaissance, certainly with an offensive season this year on a terrible Blackhawks team. And the fact that this isn't just a guy. I mean, he does have some connections to Winnipeg. And we know what Ty said about here that, that maybe there would be a connection, but Dubois um, and again, there's so many possibilities with Dubois. I still certainly hope and 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 have time for, you know, the possibility of Dubois being traded to a team that is not the Montreal Canadiens. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of teams in the league, given their situation right now, knowing what Dubois could bring them even for one season, that would be more than willing to consider that. And I think they'd also have the confidence that they might be able to show him a great organization, a great opportunity to succeed, and maybe get him to sign that extension that doesn't seem to be um, happening here in Winnipeg. A lot of the French media have sort of been pushing to get this done and have been talking about post-deadline, the fifth overall pick going to Winnipeg for Dubois. Part of me thinks that that would be an absolute no-brainer for the Jets to do, Um just you know base like that makes sense if you're trading a player like that again it does kind of push the window down of when you're going to get this player and again that opens up the need for a placeholder if you will like a max domi or whoever it is but what do you see as the options if the jets realize if they've already had this conversation guys we're not signing a long-term deal here figure it out i'll either play one more season and go as a free agent or you can do something right now the options for the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to either trading to Montreal and what that deal would look like this summer before the draft or potentially elsewhere in the league. Yeah, if you use Montreal, I, I, the, the ideal situations that come to mind are ones that I wonder if Montreal would have any interest in. And, you know, I often use the example of Winnipeg wanting security long term. You can't get that by extending Dubois. So maybe there's a younger version of him that you're, hoping will turn into something almost as good or maybe even better if you get lucky. And so that often means players on their ELCs, but more likely a second contract. And for me, that player, the perfect example of that player to me is Kirby Duck, who 
I think Montreal paid a lot to get and probably want to hold on to and probably imagine him being part of a future that, you know, is on its way up in the next couple of years. But for me, that's a player who I've, I want to say I saw him good just to mean that in the games that I've watched, he played particularly well. Uh, That's an example of a player who I believe could grow in a center role and not set you too far back in the immediate. But for plenty of reasons, I could see Montreal being hesitant to trade him. Similar with that fifth overall pick. In a draft that's supposed to be this good, and I'm not a prospect expert, I haven't done the research into this to ask them either, to say, okay, well, how good do we imagine the likely number five overall player to be? What's the projection on that? I mean, I think there's a lot of optimism about this particular draft, and I think that if you're the Jets, that's got to be an awfully palatable play, not only because he's probably going to be a great player, this number five overall, but you can sell it. When you're in a top five situation in terms of that, and you had to trade a player who was you know, popular with fans for most of his tenure in Winnipeg and who um, is clearly still in the prime of his career, is 24 turning 25. I think when you're into the top five, you can begin to pitch that as, okay, we've got something, you know, we're building here. There's, there's something to that effect. So I like those types of assets if you're able to get that. But I'm with you. Like, we've seen enough situations in the NHL where the thing we think is absolutely going to happen doesn't come true. And if you're Montreal there may be impetus to not give anybody else an opportunity to to sell Dubois on on life there. And I'm not inside Dubois' head. What little I've been able to glean, I think it's important to be close to home. I think it's important to be in a metropolitan center. I think the things that light him up are, you know, restaurants and fashion. And, you know, he's always traveling in the offseason to exciting places. So I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, Montreal would be great for that. New York would be great for that. There's there's places like that. Heck, maybe even Chicago, to tell you the truth. Um, and it may not be Montreal or bust. And again, I'm just guessing. So if you're the Canadians, maybe you don't want them to be able to put that sell job on. And that's an intriguing possibility, too. Yeah, and I mean, they'd need to be sold that he is a guy that would be a great fit for their club. And you also have to talk about the fact that they'd have the ability to extend them right now. I mean, get a deal done and have cost certainty going forward beyond this season and, you know, presumably six, seven, even eight years into the future, which when you're planning a team around a number of, you know, good young players that are already there, number one pick overall last year in Cole Caulfield, I think there's a lot of things that uh, that do work. Now, the thing, if you bring in uh, Dubois now, like, I'm sort of with you. I think Doc is a player that, you know, would have great interest from the Winnipeg Jets. He's signed for three more years and then will be an RFA. I mean, that that's the type of player Winnipeg will be looking for to get com- coming back. But I think with where Montreal has been the last few years, I think if you make that trade right now and get Dubois there and trade the pick instead of Doc, you really do set yourself up for being a much more competitive team this next season and going forward along the lines of those young players being able to play and contribute potentially on ELCs, at least with Slavkovsky, which the more I think about it might make sense. Like when I first thought about this, I'm like, there's no way in hell the Habs would do that. But again, when you put all these together, I mean, if you're kicking it down the road, all of a sudden Caulfield needs an extension and Slavkovsky needs an extension and Doc in three years will. And then you've got this pick that you just made I mean, good problems to have. Obviously, you had to go through a lot of pain to get there, Marat. But 
I mean, to me, there's a lot of possibilities that I think people are sort of not assuming might be realistic that I think kind of might be in play when it comes to Dubois in Montreal and also elsewhere in the league. I mean, I, I can't tell you in one breath that cap efficiency is the is the way and then deny that argument right here and now, right? Like, I, I think to look at what we've learned from Winnipeg over these last several years, where it seems like, you know, 2024 is a bit of a ticking clock, but for a long time it was kind of, you know, every season or every other season, one new young player would need a big contract or there, there seemed to be this regularized, staggered approach to that. I think that that's good timing. I think that what it creates is a situation where the GM almost always has a problem to solve. And that means that there's plenty of work to do, but not having these 2024-esque D-days of contracts is probably a good thing. And I guess like a lot of people are out there probably setting their gardens or what have you. If you're one of those, you know that your work is literally never done. There's always something to do. It's got to be the same from a GM's point of view. And, and I think that your Dubois to Montreal solution now does create that scenario for Montreal. The only issue is then if you're Winnipeg and you're getting the call and it's okay, Christian Dvorak and the second round pick. And that's, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's a tough spot to be in. No, you don't do that. I, I don't think they do that. I mean, if it was for the pick, like think about it. Mean, they'd have Nick Suzuki, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kirby Doc as their top three centers. I mean, that to me immediately makes Montreal not a team that's in the mix for one of the top picks. I mean, potentially getting back into the playoffs next year. And I think with the young players and what their fans have been through, like winning is important. Uh, you know, I know that they went through this rebuild and they had to hold their nose a little bit. And obviously had that crazy run during the pandemic to the cup. But uh, I mean, the Montreal Canadiens plan is not to be bottom feeders for an extended period of time. And I do think a Dubois in the prime of his career right now quickly accelerates that process to get back to being a a problem for teams in the East. Can you lay lay out that center depth like you just did? Yeah, like I want I want to build from that core. Absolutely. Like that that's a situation where you can go forward and then you have Caulfield and Slavkovsky and whomever else that you're fighting on the wings in that situation. I mean, guys you guys gotta believe in that. I think that like this idea of of, of conservative until the moment that it's time to be aggressive and then being aggressive is a, is a great strategy within the NHL as well. I know last year to talk to say Arpin or Marc Antoine who write for the athletic in Montreal, there was this big sense that they were sharing that, you know, Montreal's content to be bad this year, i.e. this most recent, the year that's just passed, not bad necessarily, but it's not the time yet, but when it does become the time and maybe that's right now, it would be a matter of, of pushing, of going all, like, all in, to so to speak, in that moment, I think. And I'm just looking. Cole Caulfield is, I guess he finished on the uh, injury list. So he's an RFA this year. So he's going to need a new contract as well. you got two more years of Slavskovsky. Um, and uh, Wi-Fi there has one more year. Uh, you know, obviously, he's not going to be getting a big, big raise like that. I mean, the funny thing is, you mentioned Dvorak. I mean, I'm not even sure that if the Jets were pushing for that pick and there's an appetite to make that trade, the Jets might not even be able to get Dvorak 
as someone that they're almost taking from Montreal to alleviate the cap space on their side of things that come back in. I don't know. We're going to have a lot of time to kick this uh, this stuff around. Um, we didn't even get to a bunch of the things in the mailbag. Just give a quick plug. I really enjoyed it. Some great questions from some of your uh, your readers in The Athletic um, that's up right now. Uh, just to fill people in on uh, what they can find when they go check that out, Marat. Yeah, it, it was one of those mailbags where, you know, my process is, you know, you can like our comments at The Athletic, so I sort by what's liked the most. Okay, great. And I was looking through like the top 10 or 15 questions, 20 questions and being like, how am I going to answer these? Like there was some intensity and some difficulty and some need for proper research and all of that sort of stuff. And um, so that's a great summertime read for sure. And some of the key questions in the one that went up today are about Mark Chipman's involvement in decision making within the Winnipeg Jets, about the economics behind should they be rebuilding is it responsible to try to squeak into the playoffs? Where where does revenue meet expenditures and, and all of that sort of stuff there? So that's a, a fascinating topic to get into. We talked about Pierre-Luc Dubois' future as well, including what would be a really sly play, the one-year offer sheet, um, which there's a lot of X, X's and O's, a lot of like ifs and ands and things like that to do with that. But we explore all of those options in there. One fan asked about Rick Bonus's hidden message. This is my remember, favorite. The third thing that he didn't tell us. Yeah, he made a point to say there's a third thing and I'm not going to tell you. Like, why do that? Why not just say there are two things? You're sort of making a point of some kind, I think, in that moment. So I did my best to, to just speculate and guess my way through that. And sometimes in the summer, it's nice to just think out loud and be like, hey, you know what? I don't know this, but let's think for a while. Let's see what we really think about what the brass is saying. Well, it was a uh, it was a banger, folks. Check it out at the uh, at the athletic, and who knows? Um, I mean, I know we've got a few weeks until Nashville in the draft, but there's a lot of things that need to be figured out. I think, and uh, whether they want us to know or not, I think some of those things may happen relatively soon, Marat. So, fingers crossed, we'll have a little bit more meat on the bone for Jets conversations over the next couple of weeks, uh, and then get into what will be a very interesting month of June for sure. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me as always, man. Appreciate it. There it is at Murata Tesh of the athletic get there right now. It's a really neat bit, especially the bit on, uh, on what bones had to say with his very cryptic message there, uh, there at the end. Um, we've got some more hockey talk, huge event coming to Manitoba. We're going to talk about in just a minute. Um, but as we said before, we've got gold eyes, uh, beginning, Next Friday is the home opener and Bomber Camp is back. And that means our Bomber Reports brought to you by Princess Auto are back as well this season. Princess Auto, of course, proud sponsors than Blue and Gold. We'll be getting ready to get out to the uh, Princess Auto tailgate before all the games this year. And Princess Auto, of course, is where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new, is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West. And you can always shop online 24-7-365 at princessauto.com. We're about to get a little greener outside, folks. But if you need help with irrigation systems or maybe taking the uh, cutting out of the equation with some artificial turf, 
Joe and the gang down at Consolidated Supply are your experts in that. have been dealing with the golf industry for decades. And, of course, they're also the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba if you need a newer used golf cart. Uh, but any irrigation needs you have for your property, they can help you out. And speaking of your property, other great options, including hot tubs and amazing outdoor kitchens as well. And, of course, small engine parts and repair. Pop by and see Consolidated Supply at their new showroom, open to the public at 1395 Niagara Road East, or you can find out more online at cte.ca. Well, big night tonight for the Buds and the Oilers. Um, there probably still are a few of you that have hope. Well, maybe if you need a bit of a new gear before the playoff runs are over, you can get on down to Royal Sports, Manitoba's number one sports superstore with the biggest selection of licensed team gear featuring Jets, Bombers, NHL, NFL, tons of soccer gear and jerseys from around the world, and of course, Jays and Major League Baseball just in for the start of the season. Uh, spring stocks also arriving daily. If you're getting out on the pitch or the diamond, soccer, baseball, softball, tennis, paddleball, and more, it's all there and not to mention a huge selection of bicycles as well. Some really cool styles. Pop down and see them at Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway. Follow on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina. And, uh, you know, I practice what I preach. I was saying yesterday might be a great day to get out with a few fellas and uh, watch some of the games at your local Boston Pizza. Did exactly that. Hit up that new triple play platter with the cheesy bandera bread, the cactus cuts, and the Thai chicken bites. Uh, did not try the dill pickle spears, but everyone seems to be raving about those as well. Uh, the new menu for the playoffs is Fanalytics approved, and it's at your local Boston Pizza. And of course, if you're staying in tonight and not making it out, you can always order online at bostonpizza.com. I did try the new winged ribs, though. They were outstanding. Um, good stuff, and I will see a BP very, very soon. All right. Um, this is a huge week here on the local junior hockey scene. We all know that the Winnipeg Ice are taking on the Seattle Thunderbirds in the Western Hockey League final. That begins on Friday night at Canada Life Center. They've moved those games. But just down the highway in Portage La Prairie, home of the MJHL Terriers, we've got the Centennial Cup returning to Canada to Manitoba the National Junior A Championship. And, of course, it won't just be the Terriers representing the MJHL. It will be the Steinbach Pistons, the, the uh, champions of the league. And um, to get ready for the Centennial Cup, let's get the latest on it with uh, Eric Soir from the MJHL. Eric, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, good. Uh, doing well. Glad to be here. Excited to uh, get going tomorrow in Portage. You know, this is a, such a great event, and uh, I can, I'm can. i old enough to remember the event being here in uh, Winnipeg at the old Winnipeg Arena back in the day when I was doing some stuff for the Jets in the 90s. Uh, I remember my brother in the Blues playing and going to the final there, uh, you know, in the 90s as well. Uh, it's been called the RBC Cup. It's moved around. Um, but this really, this Centennial Cup, kind of back to its roots and back here in Manitoba, going to be a great, great event. And uh, obviously, you guys at the MJ must be so fired up to have two very, very good, very competitive teams um, competing and representing the province. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're really excited. And, you know, the format changed, uh, I guess, last year. Uh, prior to COVID, it was a five-team tournament with the, uh, the four regional uh, winners and, and the host. And um, I guess last year with COVID still kind of going on out East, they 
decided, you know what, let's let's bring every champion from every league across Canada and, and then including the host and have a 10-team tournament. So it really grew last year, and I know uh, it was extremely successful. They loved the format, having each each champion from each league involved uh, in the Centennial Cup. So, um, yeah, that's going to continue on here for the next few years like this until the foreseeable future. And, uh, yeah, like you said, we're, we're extremely proud and, and happy and excited to have – uh, two great teams representing the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. I mean, a, a team in Steinbach who, uh, you know, fought their way to to win the Turnbull Cup uh, in five games against the Verdun Oil Caps. And uh, they were kind of battle-tested. They won the first round in seven games, the second round in six, and then the championship in five. So uh, great, strong team. And then you have the Portage Terriers who, you know, they lost in the second round of our, our league, final, or our league uh, playoffs. And uh, they played Verdun in the second round with, um, you know, a, I guess they had the flu running through their team and, you know, they didn't have the result obviously that they wanted, but, you know, hats off to Verd and they had a tremendous season and, and pushed them to, uh, to elimination. And so, yeah, you know what, we're really excited with both teams and to have the event here in Portage uh, with both teams playing each game in prime time. Uh, we couldn't ask for a kind of a better setup for the MJ. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for fans that are going to be getting out there to uh, begin the festivities on Thursday night with the MJHL champion Steinbeck Pistons taking on the Collingwood Blues. Um, there is plenty of hockey, though. And I mean, it starts basically 1130 a.m. on Thursday and runs through. And, you know, unfortunate timing, to be honest, at the same time as the WHL final. But Friday night, for folks that aren't in Winnipeg, if you're out and around Portage, I mean, this is going to be uh, probably be tough for you guys in the MJ office uh, to know that the Terriers and Pistons playing against each other in such a big game, but a heck of a way to start off the first Friday of the tournament. Yeah, honestly, uh, it couldn't get any better than that. They were the top two teams in the regular season throughout. They finished 1-2. Portage finished at the top, like I was talking about. They couldn't quite get it done there in the playoffs, but... Uh, it should be extremely exciting. And you know what? There's a, actually a package that the the host committee put together just for uh, MJHL fans. So you can get every MJHL game involving the Terriers and the Pistons and then all playoff games. Um, so that's available uh, at the Stride Place reception there in Portage or uh, online. And you know what? All the games are, are streamed online through the Hockey Canada website for, for free. So uh, fans that are looking to check out some great junior A hockey from around the country and here in Manitoba, they can they can find it easily. Yeah, and that package for the uh, for the MJ teams, I mean, it's basically it's a seven thirty game every night because that is when the Manitoba teams are playing. Very convenient for folks that are working that still want to get out. Um, but let me ask you this, and I'm not sure how much you know about the other teams that are coming in, represented the other leagues. I mean. I look at a team like the Brooks Bandits that always seems to be showing up in the Centennial Cup. Um, you know, I believe Timmins has been there in the past, uh, but it's great. I mean, you've got maritime hockey teams. Is there is there one team to beat right now? Is there a is there a favorite you would say, uh, or at least as people are assuming going into this event? Yeah, um, I mean, out west you have the Brooks Bandits. Uh, they're going for their third national championship here in a row, so. They've kind of got a target on their back and, um, you know, they have a lot of high-end players. Uh, I think their whole roster is committed to play NCAA Division One at some point here. So they're definitely uh, a top dog, to so to speak. And uh, even the Battleford's North Stars from the SJHL, just our, our province, our neighbors to the west of us, um, you know, they had an incredible season. I think they only had a couple regulation losses all season long and uh, they just about swept their way through the SJHL playoffs. So, 
I know both of those teams are uh, quite strong and uh, both have targets on their back. But yeah, it's, it's pretty neat to see uh, teams you wouldn't typically see. Like you mentioned, the Yarmouth Mariners from Nova Scotia and you have, uh, I'm not even going to try to speak French here, but the team from Quebec. And um, yeah, it's just really cool to, to get to see all these teams and lots of high-end talent. And uh, I think Steinbach and, and Portage are going to do a great job. And I think, you know what, Portage... They had a strong team all season, and for them to get knocked out of the, the playoffs in the second round, I think teams might not understand that they're actually a really good team and they have a ton of talent on their roster. So uh, I know they're going to do uh, a great job and um, just represent us really well. And, and, the, and the crowds, the crowds, from what I'm hearing, ticket sales have been really good. So um, it should be a great atmosphere. I know I think it holds about 2,500 fans there in Portage. So when the place is jammed full and um, – and rock and it's it's quite the place to be well and uh and uh, i mean you know with 10 teams coming in i mean there's plenty of opportunities to get in the playoffs will begin the following friday right through the weekend uh and you mentioned the capacity there i mean what a venue they have i mean for a long time i remember taking the bus out to the port of drink and you know it like many rinks needed some improvement well they got their spot and um, I mean, just to pr- I mean, let's put it this way: you don't host the Centennial Cup without a venue like Portage La Prairie has for something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And they're no stranger to hosting the event either. I know they they were hosts back in 2015 when they they won the tournament. They beat the uh, Carlton Place Canadians from the Central Canada Hockey League. And uh, from everything I can remember and all the stories I've heard, is it was just it was amazing. The building was full uh, every night. The Terriers played, and um, it's just a uh, it's a great junior a hockey rink it doesn't get much better than that so um yeah great venue i know the host committee has been added here for quite a while as the terriers were supposed to host in 2020 originally and obviously covid wiped that clean uh here we are already i can't believe it's 2023 and we're uh just about to start off with uh, the centennial cup so yeah um really looking forward to it and i know uh the portage uh faithful are going to be open open drill yeah, if you go to uh, the Hockey Canada website or just Google Centennial Cup, you'll go to a landing spot. And then if you do want tickets, it'll take you over to the Stride Place spot. And you got the full tournament package. you got an evening package, which will be catching the Manitoba Junior League teams uh, as well. Uh, individual tickets. And then, of course, the playoff game's coming up a little later on. Eric, listen, uh, hopefully we'll see you out at the rink. Uh, definitely going to try and get out and take in a few games. And uh, fingers crossed that the Pistons and the Terriers can rep the uh, the MJ well and uh, be playing some meaningful games, not this weekend, but the following weekend out of stride place at the Centennial Cup. Yeah, you said it. Really looking forward to it. And uh, go Manitoba. Thanks for having me. <laughs> right on. Thanks, Eric. Uh, there's Eric Swar from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League Centennial Cup. Going to be awesome. I, I'm definitely going to be making the trip out for a couple of the games after the show. Heck, maybe next week we'll get down there if the uh, teams do well. Maybe we'll try and bang out a show there heading into the long weekend out there. Uh, Again, Centennial Cup National Junior A Championship begins Thursday night in Portage La Prairie. Thanks to Eric for joining us on the program. Um, Man, that is going to be a weekend, huh? Um, You know, we go into May long. We'll have the Centennial Cup happening right now. That Friday night is the Gold Eyes home opener. And then Monday is the opening night for Assiniboia Downs with 50 days of live racing. And myself and Remus going head-to-head with our daily picks. Cannot wait for that. Um, Get ready for it. We'll have Kurt back on next week after he dropped the winner of the Kentucky Derby Mage with us on Friday's show. 
we're def definitely rebooking him on the Friday for uh, the Preakness. But we'll also have Darren Dunn join us from Assiniboia Downs next week to get us uh, ready for an entire season of live racing out at Assiniboia Downs. Um, folks, I mentioned this is blizzard weather outside right now, the good kind. It's also beer weather. And, uh, oh, our friends at Little Brown Jug were thinking of the summer when they dropped the new generic lager. Uh, your basic lager just better. Impressively standard in the best way. Light and clean to taste with a mellow flavor and crisp finish. Now Manitoba can support local without having to move away from the domestic taste they've come to expect with a light beer. Check that out wherever you get your favorite beers. Pop by the tap room as well. And keep an eye out. I have been noticing it on tap in a few spots in, in the city, including Osborne Tapos down in the village. Shout out to our friends at Little Brown Jug. Local delivery also available. Find them online at littlebrownjug.ca. Uh, well, you know, Dusty was on earlier. We did hit up our picks for the Byron Nelson on the PGA Tour. You can check that in the lock shop. Uh, we're counting down the days, though, till the RBC Canadian Open. Manitoban Eric Cockrell is going to be in it. And... Uh, Probably be a few people heading out to watch him from these parts. But uh, tell you, the big story right now is the course is being open and Breezy Bend is uh, is the place to be. We've had such a great relationship with Corey and the gang there over the years, and I cannot wait to get out and play. have to bring out Weaver there for his continued Manitoba golf tour. Uh, but it was one of Manitoba's top private clubs, championship course, top-notch practice facilities, and the best 19th hole around with their amazing course side patio. Find out more about becoming a member of breezybend.ca or give our pal Corey Johnson a call at the clubhouse and uh, help you out with all the details on uh, maybe making that your long-term golfing home for you and your family. And speaking of golfing, the other thing we're doing this summer is fishing. Cannot wait to get out to Aikens Lake. Long-time listeners know, uh, really back to the H&L days, how much fun we have had at Aikens. I mean, it truly is uh, a paradise in our own province where you can be on the air uh, on the water in less than two hours from the city of winnipeg including the flight up there and once you're there as great as the world-class fishing is the hospitality from the terrens and pat and the gang that run the place is uh is literally second to none and that's why they have so much repeat business from both sides of the border find out more about the aikens experience Hit them up at AkinsLake.com or uh, you can also send our pal Pitt Turan a message at Pitt at Aikens Lake or at Aikens Lake on Twitter. Um, right on, let's get Remo back in here. Tell you what, Remo, and I obviously have long ties in history with the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, but uh, this Centennial Cup is going to be fun. And the fact that they've expanded it to a 10-team tournament, I think really takes it to the next level. I mean, for a long time, the Manitoba team would always have to play the Saskatchewan winners in the Anavet Cup, and the winner of that would represent Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Uh, I love the new format, getting a chance to see teams from all across the country. And, man, it's going to be a fun 10 days uh, down the highway in Portage. Yeah, that sounds awesome, having teams from all over, as you said. And, you know, I keep hearing Centennial Cup. I heard Ron McLean mention it on uh, Hockey Night in Canada. I was like, what is this? And then Eric came on and said, oh, it used to be called what? Like TELUS? Yeah, Cup. RBC Cup, TELUS Cup were it the had sponsors. But so many names. And yeah, it just confused me. This Centennial, like, should I know what the, what this is? I feel like I should. But it, as you said, it had all the previous names. Pretty cool. One thing I, I always think about, Huss, is you look in the U.S. how big college sports are, football and basketball. And I feel like... We haven't really replicated that here with 
you know, junior Memorial Cup's popular junior uh, junior hockey, but not even close to the level. A university sport, you know, we get excited if the Bisons are in, um, are in the Vanier Cup, definitely. But I, I don't know. I feel like Canada, there's ways, there's room to grow for all of these uh, junior level sports, much like NCAA in the U.S. It's just so massively, like talk shows in the, some of those uh, cities, you know, just all NCAA. Oh, listen, dude, if you go down to the south in mm-hmm. well, not even just in the summer, I mean, pretty much 12 months a year. I mean, it's SEC football that's yeah. driving the needle for <clears throat> most of those shows. Now, professional sports, the National Football League is certainly right up there. But the NFL is number two in a lot of those markets. And you know, you do make a great point. I mean, I think in a lot of the communities where these teams are, they get great support. You know, throughout the season, the Terriers are certainly very well supported. The Steinbach Pistons, um, you know, since they were born, have had great, great crowds and uh, and really local uh, local support. Where it's really dropped off is in the cities. I mean, we remember at times where there was the Winnipeg South Blues, the St. James Canadians, uh, the North Stars. Um, you know, at times, you know, three to four teams in the MJ right here from Winnipeg, and obviously that's dropped off because it wasn't financially feasible. Uh, all that being said, I'm with you. Would love to see that continue to grow um, at levels outside of the, the professional ranks. Um, but this will be a great event. I mean, just as far as if you want to see a really, really high level of hockey, a number of these players you know, are playing in this league because they want to maintain their NCAA eligibility as opposed to losing it once they play in the Western League. So it'll be a ton of talent, and uh, I certainly suggest people get out there. It gets underway on Thursday yeah. out at the uh, Stride Center out in Portage. I'll, I'll apologize. I misspoke. It was the Royal Bank Cup, RBC, from 96 to 2018. Oh, yeah. TELUS, I think, was the... Uh, the TELUS, is um, st- yeah, that's still around. Younger, that's still around. Under that's 16 or under 15. Bantam, and under uh, 18, yeah. I, I got mixed up, but you know, there's so many of these, but maybe we should... You know, this uh, Centennial Cup sounds like a great event there uh, down the road in Portage. Yeah, we'll check in at some point next week with the, how things are going. But a big WST good luck to Steinbach and Portage representing the MJ uh, at the event. All right, let's get to the cool bet lines because we got some games tonight, folks. And uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are facing elimination. Much the delight of many of you in the chat. Uh, the <laughs> well, Leafs were... Minus 123 favorites earlier, and the Leafs are such a public team. Often that number goes, wonder, well, let's go on the other. And I think people are officially 100% off the bandwagon. They have they have left the Leafs for dead. They've said it's over. And I'll be honest, that's the reason why I think the Leafs actually win tonight. I, there's no way. This is that they can't possibly be swept by the Florida Panthers bet tonight. Minus 114, Leafs on the money line. Panthers just south of even money at minus 103. They opened at plus 105. What do you think about that? Will we have a game five in this series, or will the Leafs get humiliated and swept by Paul Maurice's Florida Panthers, the team with the lowest point total that qualified for the Stanley Cup playoffs? I put a poll out, Huss. I know who. I see T. Will in chat putting the brooms out already. Is Waiters here? Waiters is down with the blue and white, right? He's a big blue and yeah, white guy. Yeah, there he is. They're Waiters. Leafs in seven. He says Leafs in seven. Wow. Uh, I think they got to win one for sure. This isn't. This seems too good to be swept. The first two games were too close. 
I think they push back tonight and, I and lo- win. I love I love waiters. Our resident uh, sometimes Leaf fan, Joseph Brick Wall. Yeah, that's a great nickname for Wall. Uh, he's going to need to uh, be that way. What what a way! What does he have? Thirteen games in the NHL, and now he's starting with the team facing elimination after Samsonov and. Uh, that sparked another big conversation about just how ugly that Matt Murray pickup is looking for the Leafs. I think he's owed $8 million next year. Sens are paying two. Leafs are paying six on the book for $4.6 million. And apparently healthy, but will not get the start tonight with their season on the line. Kind of crazy, um, the Mad Murray situation, but I think they ha- hasn't played for a while and they don't want to throw him in there. Or that's what the excuse has been, or you know, it just hasn't been good enough. Um, one thing that has been interesting this this round of the playoffs is that every team has gone with two goalies. Now that uh, Grubauer was pulled the other night, and you've seen oh. a pretty interesting stat that yeah, there hasn't been a team left that has used just one. And well, that also speaks to how lopsided some of these wins have been. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean it's been a ter- as we said at the start of the show. It's been a terrible second round. I mean, second round is usually a letdown because you're not as many games. But now the games aren't even close, and every game's a blowout, and it's so weird because they're you know they're all good teams. So I don't know what's going to happen here tonight, but the two Canadian teams in action, I'm excited for that, and uh, I think Toronto wins. I think Edmonton wins. Edmonton wins too. So we'll see. Well, I, good. I hope you uh, with it. We'll get to our exclusive in a minute. The Oilers are minus one seventy eight, Vegas plus one fifty. We were kicking around a couple of things. I, I, I'm calling it right now. I think McDavid has a monster game tonight. Uh, he's plus one seventy for over two and a half points, and there's also an exclusive where McDavid three plus points and an Oilers win is plus two thirty. You would think that that would be automatic if. McDavid gets three points that they win the game. However, considering last week we had guys score four goals back-to-back nights and both lose, maybe it's not a guarantee. That being said, take your pick on those ones. Vegas Golden Knights, by the way, plus 150 on the money line. And we check over the exclusives. Our lock shop one, we talked about it with Dusty, but if you missed that earlier, he's got one. McDavid and Dreisaitl both to score. A point for Evan Bouchard. Oilers to win in regulation and over Five and a half. That one opened at plus at plus six twenty five. It's now plus six hundred or six to one. And uh, Remus likes the Leafs and Oilers. So do I tonight. We're going to pair that with the Warriors minus six and a half. I think they win by twenty in this game. And the Lakers will take the feet off the gas. They'll look to win it at home. That one we opened at plus five hundred. Obviously, there's been an action on that, but plus four eighty five right now. Our two exclusives over in the lock shop. And yes, as far as the NBA goes, there are two games tonight. The Warriors are seven and a half point favorites at home against the Lakers. That was seven earlier. And the Knicks are down to their last out, but they are favored tonight at home. Minus 159 at home to the Miami Heat. I haven't watched a lot of the early games, Reem, but I have watched some of the late games after the hockey ends. We'll tune into the NBA. Lakers-Warriors has been a lot of fun to watch. And the team that... No one seems to respect, but I'm riding with the Nugs, led by Canadian Jamal Murray and Jokic. Big win last night. Their one win away from moving on to the West Final and taking on the winner between the uh, Lakers and Warriors. Yeah, that's an awesome uh, West Final. 
whoever that's going to be. And shout out to Jamal Murray, what he had last year off with the knee injury recovering, and he's back. And uh, they're kind of back to where they were before he was hurt. One thing here, back to NHL, I just wanted to look at the prop for, I think any of the Leafs, what, core four? Is that what they're calling? The core four. They, they haven't scored. You know, they didn't score. They don't have a goal from Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares. So... I don't know who's the worst one on the odds. Nylander plus 180. Uh, where's Marner? Plus 190. They're all around the same. So I, I mean, wonder, if is there one for all those guys to not score? I, you'd have to parlay them together. I don't, I'm don't. i just no. thinking that there might be something in the exclusives. Oh, you should you should call them. Be like, hey, can you do an exclusive for the <laughs> Leafs core four? No goals. Yes. Yeah. Core four to be shut out. What What's the number on that? Yeah. <laughs> hit four in a row. Uh, well, as I said, Leafs and uh, Panthers starting it off early. And then the Edmonton Oilers and Vegas Golden Knights a little bit later on. We do mm-hmm. have some hoops tonight. And uh, tomorrow, kind of opening night for the Jays. By the way, I know the Jays are playing in the afternoon. Has that game started already? Uh, I'm not sure. I know See, what happened yesterday. 3.05 p.m. So basically, if you do want to get on that great, uh, great matchup, Gossman and Wheeler. Uh, tough one last night for Manoa. And by the way, Rio, remember all my statements about Kikuchi going into this season, that this was going to be Kikuchi's year and everyone was nuts for writing him off? Guess who has the best ERA of any Blue Jays starting pitcher right now? Kikuchi. Really? No. Yes. Yeah, really? Yes. Yazio? He's had a great start to the season. He was good on Seattle, and thankfully, Plagoro uh, Jr., but he had an injury over the weekend, uh, rested Monday, and he was back in the lineup yesterday. I have him fancy, so there was some concern uh, on my end, but they did lose yesterday. Aaron Nolg, one of my favorite pitchers, uh, shut him down yesterday. So Jason Philly's back at it, uh, I guess, right now, three. Yeah, a uh, couple things, uh, just notes on our way out. We do have the Joseph uh, uh, Walls we mentioned starting for the Leafs. We touched on that, and it is Aiden Hill. Uh, the Knights have had no update on Lauren Brassois, but, I mean, if you're watching that game, that did not look good. I, I don't think he'll be back anytime soon. And uh, how about this? The Raptors are interviewing J.J. Redick for their vacant coaching job. All you need to do is spend some time on first take, and next thing you know, you're in line for NBA coaching gigs. Yeah, what is this with they should TV? Hire, it should give interview Stephen A. Yeah, what's going on here? Picking TV guys for coaching jobs? I don't know. Don't you want to go with someone who's coached before? I know what uh, Brooklyn went with Steve Nash. Like He didn't have a lot of coaching That didn't experience. work very well. I like J.J. JJ Reddick, as you said, good on TV, but does that translate? I don't know. Hey, I mean, I don't know. He seems like a pretty smart dude, obviously. His entire life has been in basketball. Um, but it is interesting that guys, like, in the NA... Well, Marty St. Louis went from basically yeah. no coaching experience, running practices for 12-year-olds, to coaching the Habs. I mean, we know what he signed up for, which was a miserable season last year. But I think he might have a future going forward. Well, Anyways, that is certainly something that, um, you know, Raptor fans will be paying attention to. And... uh we never even talk about Bud getting fired in Milwaukee. I mean, they had such a good run, but, you know, you lose, even with your top player injured, losing the way they did to the Miami Heat, it was curtains for the Bud era after winning that championship in Milwaukee with the Bucks. Yeah, speaking of bringing TV guys into, you know, a management role, Frank Valley reported on Daily Faceoff, Huss, that the Flyers are about to, you know, they're on the verge of announcing a new president. They've narrowed it down to 
Eddie Olchek and Keith Jones, two guys who are on TNT, so two TV guys. Keith Jones has been a Flyers analyst. Uh, they're looking for a president of hockey ops to like be on top of uh, Danny Briere and be the face of the organization with Briere and John Tortorella. And again, I find that interesting that you would bring in a guy who's been on TV, like president. That's that's a president. That's a pretty big role. Yeah. I don't know. I think did, uh, br- did 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 Biz get a did Biz get an interview? He's on TV now. Yeah, he's on TV. I I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I mean, Keith Jones. I think he's pretty close to the organization. Eddie Olchick was in Chicago, and he, now he's doing TV in Seattle, as with TNT. But I don't know. I always think like you need a business guy um, in that role. But uh, maybe it's just more of a figurehead. And I, Yeah, I have no idea what these presidents do and whether they're really involved in day-to-day or whether true. they are just someone to kind of have a buffer in between ownership and the general manager that can kind of glad-hand one and give some guidance to the other. Uh, listen, I'm not sure anyone wants to really emulate what Philly's been doing with all of their changes over the last little while and while they are right now. Um, well, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll have some more Jets talk. Looking forward to having well, Billick and Rewicki on with us. And uh, we're we going to hit him with some of those topics that we had today talking about potential deals for uh, the centers that we've just been discussing. Yeah, a couple j- quick Jets topics. Uh, everyone wants, we didn't mention Leon Gavanka signing a four-year deal in Germany, leaving the Moose. I mean, he'd been with the Moose for a couple seasons, and I'm sure he figured, you know, his ch- chances of getting to the NHL, not exactly. There was a number of guys ahead of him, so he was like, yeah, I'll go home to Germany and play pro. Yeah, he had 20 goals last year, a really good season, but, you know, wasn't a guy that ever seemingly was really in the mix to be called up. And listen, this is no slight on Gavanka. There are players that, you know, end up being Great, great players at the American Hockey League level, at European, that um, you know just don't end up clicking in the NHL. Now, some will say he never really got a chance. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that, frankly, were held back by uh, a more veteran defense corps this year. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that if he did think that there was NHL opportunities, he probably would have stuck around. Uh, but great for Leon. He goes back home. He's going to play. Got a nice four-year deal with Mannheim. Um, who get to play in his uh, own country. And, of course, we get to play at the World Championships and everywhere else the Germans are able to compete. He will be one of those guys. So uh, a nice run with the Manitoba Moose and a very important player for this team, obviously. Would have loved to have still be playing right now uh, after the heartbreaking way the team uh, was bounced by the Milwaukee Admirals on the weekend. Yeah, he played four seasons with the Moose uh, and was a fifth-round pick in the 2017 uh, NHL entry draft, 136th overall. And there's only like a couple players that have played a ton of games who were drafted in that round. So uh, he played here, uh, saw that he was pretty roadblocked and went home. Good I mean, good, good for him, uh, yeah, getting a nice four-year deal. I think a Justin Kurtz, I think a Brett Hauer back from uh, the early Moose days of uh, guys that, you know, were really, really effective at this level that – uh, you know, for whatever reason, just weren't uh, weren't NHL players. So, uh, and a lot of those guys end up going to Europe and having great careers and uh, living a great lifestyle with their family. So, shut up for uh, shout out to Leon for that. Uh, that I don't believe will be the case for Vili Hainala or Declan Chisholm. But part of the reason why we got into, I mean, we're focusing so much right now, Remo, when it comes to potential trades for the Winnipeg Jets on Hellebuck and the two centers in Shifley and Pierre Luc Dubois. Uh, one thing that needs to be discussed is how the roadblock on the defense gets settled 
um, you know, or moving prospects that will be available on waivers because both of those players have done enough right now at the AHL level, and especially with Billy being a first-round pick. Uh, you can't let that sort of thing walk away. I think you need to know one way or the other. And um, both of those guys have certainly paid their dues and done a great job with the Manitoba Moose. Will they be able to earn spots on the roster next year? And will there be room for them is another thing that, you know, might not be getting as much ink as the future of the big stars on the Winnipeg Jets, but it's certainly something that's important to consider and we'll be talking about. Well, we said this all summer. Okay, you got to move out one of your veteran D and bring in some scoring depth. And they never did that. And, you know, the big question in the preseason is how many games is Billy Hainala going to get into? And it wasn't many. And now you have another guy, Declan Chisholm, who's, what, he's uh, no longer waiver exempt. Going to have to make a decision there. So you have all these veteran D. And everyone was saying at the end, well, bring in a D, bring, bring in a D. They don't... They what they they probably would have moved out a D earlier if they thought they could have. So I'm curious how that is going to shake out. Well, it was tr- quite clear that there was no confidence that either of those guys were going to play and help the team win games this year. I mean, I think that you know, do you do you like to give a guy some experience? Could he play? Like, I mean, part of me thinks, and uh, I, I feel bad saying this because I like Billy Hanela and I hope that he can turn into a great player for the Winnipeg Jets and prove a lot of people wrong. Part of me thinks from what we've seen of Billy that he's certainly a capable NHL player and a guy that can play a lot on sort of a bad team. I'm not sure that, you know, when we look at what's happening in the playoffs right now, um, I'm not sure that he, you know, can be a difference maker at that top level playing the type of playoff hockey that we're seeing right now. Um, And I'm not sure. That's not like a completely finish take because I think he deserves more opportunity to show, but I don't know whether you agree or not. I mean, it just seemed like that the physicality was an issue at times. And a lot of the things that he was able to do so comfortably at the American hockey league level, a lot harder to do at the NHL level. And you wonder if that translates. Yeah. Played 10 games this year with the jets had one point was, was minus five. Um, we'll have to, I don't know. I'm not sure, but we do know there is no room for him, the former first-round pick, 20th overall in 2019. So if they do want to make room, you're going to have to trade out some of these veteran guys that all have well, years remaining, except for, six, sorry, Dylan big and... Stan. Big Stan. Big Stan is the other guy, is the other big question mark as to what happens with him and if he's traded, what sort of value you get. Uh, because there would be a roster spot, um, not necessarily a spot in the top six right now with Dylan Sandberg really cementing down, in my opinion, likely a top four spot for next year. But I'd be surprised if one of the Jet defensemen that played in the playoffs isn't elsewhere by the end of next, by the start of next season. Well, that's what we said. um, That's what we said last summer. That's what we said. We'll see. And speaking of Sandberg, I don't think we mentioned this yesterday, but we did mention last week he was named to Team USA. He's their top pair D uh, at the Worlds. So uh, that's good to see. And as, I know we've got to wrap this up. One more thing. Uh, Derek Taylor is at Bombers Rookie Camp. You know who's out there uh, today? Zach First Caleros. day. All, Zach Caleros. All QBs are there. And also, remember this guy? Carlton Agudosi, receiver. How on could the field. we forget him from that game? Was it the Calgary game that he had the yeah, two touchdowns? Two touch, yeah, he amazing was huge. Touchdowns. He looked amazing. He looked like Calvin Johnson on those <laughs> touchdowns. So he's on the field first time since his ankle injury. And Derek Taylor also says Willie Jefferson and B.A., Brandon Alexander. 
walking around. It looks like they're ready. BA was injured last year, and uh, I don't. Do you want training camp play by play? Are we here for Bombers rookie camp play by play tweets? Mm, I don't know about <laughs> play by play tweets. However, we will reach out to uh, Eddie and uh, try and get him on on Friday yeah. for uh, a little bit of a Bomber main camp preview and a little bit of what he's seen from uh, from the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah. so we're not here for, for Bombers training, but I, we are excited uh, for the season. What did you say, 13 days? Yeah, until things get going. I, well, it's. Uh, I know Dusty's here for the preseason game on June 2nd. Uh, okay. That's the home preseason game. It's a party. Um, so we've got basically that's three weeks from three weeks from Friday, uh, and I think they go on the road first before that. So uh, yeah, we're uh, we're ready to go. And I know we hit cool bet lines earlier, but yeah, if you are horny for uh, lines for the Canadian Football League uh, win totals and whatnot, Brusty and I'll break them all down on the lock shop probably on Friday show. But uh, it's all up there right now over at CoolBet.com. All right, we got to get out. This was a, a fun, fun show today. Thanks to everyone that jumped on. Uh, hit that thumbs up button if you haven't already. And definitely hit that red subscribe button as well. Um, don't forget, you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For those of you that have found us on YouTube, just go and search Winnipeg Sports Talk wherever you get your favorite pods. And if you are a podcast listener, pop by YouTube sometime and make sure to hit that red subscribe button. Helps us grow the channel. Um, thanks to Eric Swar. Good luck to everyone out in Portage, the volunteers, the MJHL Hockey Canada, and putting on the Centennial Cup. Big good luck to the Pistons and the Terriers representing the MJHL. Thanks to Dustin Nielsen for joining me today. Don't forget to check out the Lock Shop wherever you uh, get your podcasts or on YouTube at Lock Shop Bets. And, of course, Murata Tashu's got that great new mailbag piece up at The Athletic. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen every day and all of you for making us a part of yours. We'll catch you tomorrow. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.